You're listening to the Boogeyman's Closet Podcast. Explicit language and spoilers ahead. You've been warned. And we are back for yet another episode of the Boogeyman's Closet. As always, I am Mike Alvarez. Marius Kilver. And we have a guest joining us today. It is I, Strasburg the Younger. <laughs> also uh, also known as uh, Professor Longbox. <laughs> is, is it Professor Longbox or Dr. Longbox? I think I get oh, is confused. Oh, Dr. Longbox? I thought it was, per- I don't know. Either don't know. way, fits it, you know. Because <laughs> the other Josh is Professor. He's the Professor. He's That's picking, true. You're Dr. Right? Longbox. Okay, I, yeah, that makes I, sense. I, and I was like, you should be the kick-ass Duke. <laughs> <laughs> A kick-ass Duke. <laughs> oh, tenacious deep. But yes, we are here <laughs> for our new month of uh, all Freddy movies. Like this is this is a first for the Boogeyman's Closet. Um, we decided for our month, uh, our anniversary month of of May. Normally, we do remakes. We we generally have been covering that since year one. But we realized we have not covered a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street movies. People have been asking why we haven't. Uh, the only one we've covered is the first movie which was my birthday pick, uh, not this year, but last year. So it's been a while since Freddie's been on the podcast. So we decided, what the hell, let's do an entire month devoted to the man of our dreams uh, with Freddy Krueger. So this is episode 177. We are covering Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Uh, it's from 1985. It's an hour and 27 minutes and directed by Jack Shoulder, um, who did Alone in the Dark, Hidden, The Renegades, uh, Wishmaster 2, Evil Never Dies, that horrible Fox TV movie, Generation X, if you guys remember that. Oh, God, don't remind <laughs> me, please. I'm just going to ignore that that happened. <laughs> and an episode of Tales from the uh, Crypt, Fitting Punishment. So uh, we'll go around the table and see what everyone thinks of this slasher classic. Josh, as you are a guest, it's a, it's a you know customer. we start with you. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks. And thanks again for having me on, guys. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, um, this is my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie. So I am stoked to get to have a chance to come on and talk about it. And yeah, I've been like waiting since, you know, the early days. <laughs> since since uh, I think, what was my first episode? Was it that I cast it on? I think it was probably Jason 6, right? I think um, so, yeah. I think so. Because I remember I was bugging you, like, you better not let anyone else guest host on that episode. <laughs> I'm going to be so mad. And then ever since then, every time Nightmare comes up, I'm like, hey, don't forget me for part two. Don't forget me for part yep. two. <laughs> I'm calling dibs on it, you know. <laughs> and it's been probably years now, right? Like, you're up to mm-hmm. episode. 177 i think it is like yep way 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 overdue yeah i've been definitely chomping at the bit to talk about this one because i think it's probably i mean i don't know i'm not like a huge huge horror uh, aficionado not like not like you guys but i think it's probably fair to say that this is not everyone's favorite movie first you know i, I feel like oh dream yeah warriors dream warriors is probably like the easy number one or maybe the original one um yeah. one three and, and uh, seven get all the love yeah, I was going to say seven is pretty good. Heck, I like part six. I know it's stupid as hell, but it's a fun movie. Oh, I love um, part six. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it, I think, because it's so stupid, you know, where it's like it's a totally different tone. But I don't love this movie because it's stupid. I think this is a, this is a genuinely well-made movie, like for the time, for the budget, for what they were trying to accomplish with it. I think that they totally pulled it off. And it doesn't fit well or maybe too closely in with, like, the lore that they – 
really leaned into for the next, you know, three or four movies after this, where they really they really dug deep into Freddy's backstory and the supernatural element and all that. And this one gets a little bit hard to reconcile with all of that. But for what they were doing at the time, I think this is a like a really, really strong follow up to that original movie. Oh, yeah, no, I to- totally agree. Um, I-, I wouldn't say this is my favorite. I would say it's on par with my favorites because I-, I have a very hard time uh, picking a favorite between one, two, and three. That I I love all of them almost equally. Um, part seven is up there as well. So is part six. For me, honestly, the weakest of the bunch are four and five. And I like those too. There's a lot of stuff I like in them. But I think four and five are definitely the weakest entries in the franchise. Uh, but yeah, I, it took me a long time to come around on this movie. As a kid, I didn't like it because it, it wasn't as scary to me. Like the, the whole possession idea didn't really freak me out that much as a child. As a teenager and as an adult, I was like, oh, that's some scary shit. <laughs> like that yeah. freaked me out. But as a kid, it was more like, you know, the boogeyman that was so scary to me. And, and Freddie is in it so briefly in this film that it, it was just less scary. So it was always like lower on my radar as a kid. But after I, I kind of got older and started to understand the, the plot of the film, it freaked me out. Um, but Maurice, we'll toss it over to you. What are your thoughts on this one? I like this movie. Um, much like you, it's not my favorite. My favorite's always been the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do I like this movie. I think it's a really solid uh, sequel. Um, sometimes you don't really get that, you know. Usually, the second movies in the franchise aren't that. They're either really good or not so great. Like usually, the third movies are in a trilogy at least, are the weakest, usually. But mm-hmm. this is not a trilogy, but it was, it's a really solid follow-up to the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think I like this movie more after meeting uh, Mark Patton. Yeah, and, no, he, he was yeah, awesome. Yeah, and getting to talk to him, and he was really cool and stuff. But um, uh, I, I've definitely always enjoyed this movie. Um, Usually when I watch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I usually will watch one and two like back to back. Maybe you know, put on the third one right after. But it's usually definitely one and two. Usually all the time. So I- I'm glad to uh, get this franchise going this month because I've been wanting to talk about it for a while. So yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to this month. Yeah, no, me too. This uh, I I have often gone on record as saying that uh, Freddy was my favorite slasher for years, and um, I think he still is my favorite as far as like I like his stories the most. Um, Jason is probably the one I watch the most. <laughs> I watch the Friday the Thirteenth movies the most, mm-hmm. just because they're easy to like put on in the background and kind of look up when someone's getting slashed and be like, hey, okay, back to whatever I was doing. <laughs> you know, like I definitely yeah. watch Friday the 13th the most. Um, Leatherface scares me the most <laughs> out of the bunch. Uh, Michael <laughs> yes. Myers has his place. Like there's a few Halloween movies that, where he gives me the heebies and the jeebies. Um, but Freddie, I find his stories the most fascinating. They're, they're, uh, just the whole the whole idea of is it a dream is it real like that that always intrigues me and um he definitely i think as a kid gave me the most nightmares uh, out of all the slashers that i saw because I, when i saw part 1 it really fucking scared me 
as a, as a child. And uh, that always stuck with me. And then part three, the whole idea of having dream powers, like that just ignited my imagination as a kid. So I, I definitely think I like the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise the best out of all the, the well-known slashers. Um, but yeah, going into this film, I, I fucking love this movie. And the main reason I love this movie so much is the, the reason that so many people dislike it because of all of the crazy tropes it turns on its ear. Now, I, I will talk about it throughout the film, but I've said this multiple times. Uh, the role of Jesse is traditionally a female role. And, you know, the role of Lisa is traditionally a male role. And they switch it. They flip the script. And it's not just in the fact that, you know, Jesse is the, you know, uh, the final girl to per se. You know, it's not it's not just that. It's there's a lot of little stuff like when, uh, you know, Lisa first shows up at the house. You know, so it's like they're the, the new family. We meet the Walshes. They're all in their house and all that. The doorbell rings. You know, Jesse goes to the door and the dad jumps up all protective. And it's like, who's that? Who is that? And it's like, oh, it's my friend Lisa. And he's like, who's Lisa? And he's all overly protective the way you normally see dads being overly protective of their teenage daughters in horror movies. It's a mm -hmm. lot of those types of tropes. When we see the uh, the high school scene where they're in gym class, the mm -hmm. girls are oogling the boys and like, hey, you getting lucky yet? You getting laid? Like they're they're having the traditionally male character conversation in an mm -hmm. 80s slasher movie. And like, you know, when when uh, Grady and, and um, I keep wanting to call him Mark, but when Grady and uh, Jesse are fighting and, and Grady pants is Mark or Jesse, I'm going to keep doing that when Grady pants is Jesse and the and Carrie's like, oh, nice ass. Like these mm -hmm. are traditionally male comments in the world of slashers. So the fact that they not only were, were brave enough to try that in 1985, but I would argue fucking pulled it off is really impressive to me like i really love that about this film um and it's it's all throughout it like there there's and i mean we can talk about the the homosexual subtext that's all throughout the movie um well they say subtext but it's right out in the open um yeah. it was only subtext because everyone in the 80s was you know still kind of closeted and you know very much mm -hmm. uh don't ask don't tell so exactly like oh yeah it's just like it's subtext you know like it can be whatever you want it to be but no it was yeah. just very very obvious <laughs> I mean, David Chaskin has been saying literally for like the last 40 years, like, no, 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 subtext. I didn't mean for people to take it that way. It's like, yes, you did. <laughs> there's, there's, and I, and I have many comments throughout the movie where I'm like, subtext. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. it's, it's not. But again, I, I think it, it finally did find its place. Um, you know, in the 80s, unfortunately, there were a lot of people who were not ready for a film like this. And uh, for many years, it was lampooned. And hell, I remember having those conversations a as a kid where people were like, well, the movie's kind of gay. And I'm like, oh, I guess it is like, you know, those kind of things where you didn't really think about it as a kid. I, you know, as an adult, you start to recognize it for honestly the genius that this movie is. But back then it was like everyone was all like, oh, you know, no homo, that whole thing. Um, so it's like, no, I, I think this movie is fantastic. I think it does not. It, it has not gotten the accolades it deserves until recently. And um, for anyone listening to this that might want to get a little bit more backstory on Nightmare 2, check out the documentary on Shudder, Scream Queen, by Mark Patton. It's really fucking good. Uh, quite emotional, honestly, because he, he talks a lot about his career. And it's, it's a really good watch. 
Um, and same thing with uh, Never Sleep Again, the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, franchise documentary where they cover every single film in the franchise and they have a lot to say about part two and it's really interesting. Yeah, that, so. that documentary, that second one you mentioned, Never Sleep Again, that was the first time that I heard anybody ever talk about it like out loud, the subtext and, you know, the the sort of uh, the themes of like coming out and being closeted, you know, the homosexual overtones. Mm-hmm. Um, I And I, as soon as they said it, it was like, you know, the, the tumblers fell in place in my brain and I'm like, oh, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, and it was like I realized it, but I, I did sort of take it at sort of face value because for me, another thing that I think is interesting about this movie is the way that I perceived it as a kid at the time, which is that, man, the main character is kind of like a wuss. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's Mm -hmm. not like, he's not like, you know, the nerdy kid who actually, you know, is like, you know, the brave Harry Potter type, you know, or he's not like a tough guy. And and usually it's like the sidekick who's like the total like scaredy cat. But in this case, like this is the main character. And I always thought that that was interesting, even as a kid, because I'm like, you know, why should we care about this guy? Except that he seems like a totally normal, believable guy because, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a wuss. He's kind of a dork and he never really gets over being that, you know, that's just right. kind of who he is. And I just found him to be the most realistic out of any of the, at least the main characters in this franchise. Yeah, no, I, I actually would completely agree on that. I, I think uh, Mark Patton's portrayal of Jesse is very, it's very real. Um, he does actually feel like a teenager. <laughs> like he feel he's not overly like he's not crazy smart like Nancy I love Nancy in the first one but she's way too smart for a teenager <laughs> like you know it's yeah. her, her plans were written in the script um <laughs> yeah she's building these Rube Goldberg traps and everything <laughs> yeah and like uh, yeah it's uh, yeah this one is way more believable and Jesse is embarrassed a lot and he's bullied and you know and, and we'll talk about it too but I think even his his relationships with the other kids at school are very realistic because they're not the stereotypical like black yes. and white you know like this, this guy's the bully and this guy's you know this this one you know she's the slut or whatever like it's like no none of the characters fall easily into those stereotypical slots and uh yeah. whereas if you look you look at a lot of the other movies and by the time i got to part six it was like every character was a stereotype because it was like mm, how's freddie gonna kill him and it was like that became their entire character but you don't see that here right yeah, one of the things that uh, that I really like, and I mention it in my notes at one point, is the relationship between Jesse and Grady, because I feel like all three of us know this guy. I'm sure every every guy who went through high school knows this guy who's kind of a dick and like almost takes everything a little too far, but he's doing it just as like for funsies. Like he's not trying to be a dick. He's like, hey, you're my buddy. I'm a fuck with you. Like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like he, I feel like he wants to be friends with them. Yeah, that's it. That is, that's it. Exactly. Like he's viewing their relationship as, hey, we're buds. Like I fuck with my friends, you know, and mm-hmm. Jesse at first is like, what's your problem with me? You know, he's like, I got no problem. Man. I'm just killing time. You know, like everybody knows that mm-hmm. guy. And I'm like, I, I love the character of Grady for that reason, because it's like, holy shit, I can name like 10 dudes off the top of my head that I went to elementary school, middle school and high school with that acted like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's not yeah, being I, like back to, to like fuck with you. He's like a buddy, buddy kind of. Yeah. You know, he's not bullying him. He's busting his balls. Right. 
exactly you know or if you really want to like read read into that subtext you know it's like when you like <laughs> somebody and you like punch them when you're like a little kid in the playground you know what i mean <laughs> like, yeah exactly <laughs> he's you're like he's a girl play- so you like you pull on her pigtail or whatever <laughs> he's playfully teasing <laughs> yeah yeah, but no, I I absolutely adore this movie. I think it's got a great cast. I, I think that you know, yeah, some of the lines are a bit clunky here and there by today's standards, and some of the effects are a little bizarre. Um, like the the stretchy tongue looks really funny, um, especially when it goes back in. <laughs> it's like that looks <laughs> that looks very cartoonish. Um, and I mean, there are definitely some questionable choices made. Now, I will argue that they work beautifully in the film but yeah when you compare it to the rest of the franchise and as they say in never sleep again and josh as you mentioned there was no rest of the franchise yet so there was there was really no rules they were just going against the rules of the first film and traditionally with horror movies that happens all the fucking time like it's very rare that you get a halloween one and two or a hellraiser one and two where they pick right up where the the first one left off and continue running forward with it. Usually you get a Texas Chainsaw 1 and 2. Where the, their movies are just completely fucking different. And we just drop a bunch of, of the lore that we saw in the first movie. And, and create a whole bunch of new stuff. And any survivor, fuck them. We got all new fodder. Like that's That was just how you made horror movie sequels in the day. So this does fit perfectly in with what was known in the 80s. Um, and yeah, it does stick out like a sore thumb when you watch the rest of the franchise, especially because like part three truly establishes the lore and then four, five and six really run with it. So this one and part seven kind of stick out as kind of their own thing, but it's still really a fucking good movie. Um, I know Wes Craven hated the pool scene. Uh, I know Robert England wasn't a fan of the pool scene. I think the pool scene is one of the greatest scenes in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the pool scene is the it is, and we'll talk about it when we get there. But the pool scene is my favorite part of the entire movie. Yeah, um, and I'll say this too, like for context, um, this was the first nightmare movie that I saw too, which I think is mm. probably part of why I like it so much. I think it's hard to to disassociate like my first impression of what Freddy Krueger was because much like Jason, I had heard of the character from like older kids at school you know, who would talk about how creepy it is. And I distinctly remember being in the second grade one day going into the um, bathroom at the end of the hallway at my elementary school. And somebody had just written the word Kruger, like in marker, like on the bathroom stall with like claw marks and me being in the second grade, just thinking like being freaked out because all these older kids were just telling me how scary it was, you know? Right. And, uh, and so I had, I didn't know what the actual movies were like. And so when I saw Jason for the first time, I want to say it was part two. I might have the timeline mixed up. It was either two or six. Um, But I have a soft spot for both of those movies. Uh, And I think six very much like definitely stands on its own, despite any like nostalgic love, you know, for that franchise. And, you know, we can talk about part two. But in this in this case, I think that this movie also part two, it does very much stand on its own. I think there's an argument to be made that it's a great movie. And it's not just me, you know, looking through primrose glasses that like oh it was my first one you know but, right right <laughs> and from and i think that's part of why i don't like dream warriors as much it's a great movie but for me it, it almost was like that's not my freddy because my freddy was this one so when they for me it was almost like going backwards and establishing him as this like dream demon but don't forget like i hadn't seen the first one yet so for me mm-hmm. freddy was the he was a ghost 
more so right. than he was like a dream demon because in this movie he's just literally possessing people so it was it was scary in the way that exorcist is scary you know mm-hmm. um for me so yeah i was a little bit disappointed in dream warriors because i was like no i don't want dream demons like i like this this freddy in this movie is way scarier because he's not like locked in that dream world the whole time right and see and, and that's the funny thing is like that's the thing that most people hate about it and, and that's funny to hear that that's one of the things that you ended up loving about it um but yeah no I, I i do agree that that that's what scared me about it as a kid that's honestly the only part about it that scared me as a kid was when he jumped out in the pool party uh the rest of the movie i was kind of like well why is Freddie in it more um you know but as, as an adult yeah the possession stuff does freak me out but let's uh let's finally get into the cast here um We've mentioned multiple times that Jesse Walsh is played by Mark Patton. Uh, he was in Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, Misplaced, Amityville Clown House. God, they really went crazy with the Amityville movies. Uh, One Dead Dog and Swallowed. Then we have Lisa Weber, played by Kim Myers, who I had a huge crush on as a child. Still do. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, she's, whew, she's a very pretty lady. Um, L.A. Law, uh, Hellraiser Bloodline. She plays the mother in the... Uh, in the segment where um, the, with the architect. Oh yeah. Um, she was in Seinfeld perversions of science letters from a killer and six feet under. Then we have Ron Grady played by Robert Russler, uh, Robert Russler. I couldn't say that name for some reason. Weird science. That was his first movie. This was his second movie, which they talk about it on uh, never sleep again, mm-hmm. but apparently Robert Downey Jr. Dropped him off to the, to the, or to the uh, audition for this. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna I was gonna mention that, that I think that's a really like fun piece of trivia and it makes me like, you know, Ron as a character even more so because yeah. knowing that like, you know, I'm just picturing like Robert Rustler and uh like uh what's oh god, yeah, just his name just escaped. Robert Dunning Jr. Robert Jr. Yeah. yeah, sorry. <laughs> his name just flew away. Uh, <laughs> I could just p- picture them like, you know, like uh in a car late at night, like just like, Oh man, you think we'll get there in time and just you know, blasting <laughs> some music and having a good time and I don't know why that makes me so happy. Like all oh, these guys were like friends and like look look, yep. look at these cool movies they were making. Because they're like bully characters, but he just seems like a genuinely good dude. Yep, no, I totally agree. And um, he was in, uh, obviously, like I said, Weird Science. He was in Vamp. Uh, Sometimes They Come Back, which is a really fun Stephen King movie. Uh, Amityville, A New Generation. So another one of the random Amityville movies. Murder, She Wrote. The Substitute, one of my favorite 90s movies. I fucking love that movie. Heck yeah. It's so good. The, now the, se- the sequels are eh, but the first one's great. Um, Tales of Halloween, which I will get on this show one day. Uh, the remake of Blood Feast. And then most recently, Jacob's Wife, uh, the Shudder vampire movie. Then Mr. Walsh was played by Clue Gulliger, uh, the late great Clue. I, I love that guy. Um, Alfred Hitchcock presents Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Return of the Living Dead, obviously. Uh, Murder, She Wrote, The Hidden, Uninvited, Teen Vamp, Puppet Master 5, Feast 1 through 3, Piranha 3 Double D. <laughs> like, the guy was in so much. His One of his last movies was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So he he, he worked with Quentin Tarantino before he passed. Um, he was old. I think he was like 92 or three when he finally died. Like he, he had a very illustrious career. Then we had Mrs. Walsh played by Hope Lang, who we saw on this show in Death Wish. She played the mom in Death Wish. Um, she was in the Dick Van Dyke show, yeah. Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Blue Velvet, uh, Clear and Present Danger and Murder, She Wrote. So we got several Murder, She Wrote connections in this one. Um, Coach Schneider <laughs> played by <laughs> Marshall Bell. <laughs> he's the dad from Stand By Me. <laughs> I was, he's he's another one of those guys that is just in everything. 
like he reminds me of David Warner, who's just like, if you offer him a script, he's like, I'm in. Because, <laughs> you know yeah. I, mean? I mean, he was in, yeah, he was Stand By Me. He was in Manhunter, Cherry 2000, Johnny Be Good. He was in Twins and Total Recall, you know, Quato. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Dick Tracy, Innocent Blood. He was in two different Tales from the Crypts. Uh, the only one we covered on the show and all through the house. He's the guy that gets murdered at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and Forever Ambergris. Uh, he's also in the X-Files, Natural Born Killer, Starship Troopers, Virus, Identity, and most recently, my favorite current television show, Reservation Dogs. Um, it show is so fucking good for anyone who hasn't watched it. Like, check it out. It's awesome. Yeah, I still but, watch that. Oh, I, I, you know, it's one of those shows that I was like, eh, it looks okay. I watched the first three episodes, and I'm like, I am forever hooked. I'm watching this until the show stops. <laughs> like, I love it. Um, but yeah, uh, Marshall Bell is just in so much stuff. And this was one of his first movies. And then we have uh, Angela Walsh, the little sister, played by Christy Clark. She was in Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice. Life Goes On, Days of Our Lives, and The Mummy's Dungeon, which just sounds like, you know, a comic book shop. Um, <laughs> <It does>. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I could just picture, like, walking into The Mummy's Dungeon and buying comics. Uh, we have Carrie, played by Sydney Walsh. She was in The Twilight Zone, Point Break, Melrose Place, Murder, She Wrote, and Silk Stockings. And then, of course, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Freddy Krueger, played by Robert England. Now, because we're going to be talking about him three other times this month, I'm only going to name these one time. The rest of the month, I'm just going to be like, yeah, you know the list. Uh, but this man has been in pretty much everything that we love. Uh, all these old horror movies. He was in Eaten Alive, Dead and Buried. Galaxy of Terror, the TV show V, uh, Never Too Young to Die. I put that on there for you, Ome. Um, Phantom of the Opera, Night Terrors, The Mangler, Wishmaster, Urban Legend, Strangeland, uh, Masters of Horror, Dance of the Dead, 2001 Maniacs, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. <laughs> These ones I love. Zombie Strippers and Strippers versus Werewolves. Um, <laughs> he was in uh, uh, Supernatural. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He did a voice for one of the Dream Beavers, which was amazing. And, of course, all of the Nightmare movies, except for the remake. So, the man has done so many movies. Uh, He's done a lot of other films and TV shows that have nothing to do with horror. But he's all over the horror spectrum. He's like Kane Hodder. He just shows up in everything. (laughs) Yeah, I love him. (laughs) Actually, I think I saw him in V first. So, I always think of him as the guy from V. (laughs) <laughs> same. Yeah, that same thing, because I my, my whole family loved that show. But um, <clears throat> oh, hold on one second. I don't know about you guys. But my allergies have been shit lately. Ooh, this weather change. Well, you probably don't got that down in Texas. But <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't change that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Up here, it's been like a roller coaster. It was like it was warm the other day. Then it was like freezing cold last night. And then it was warm again. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, pick a temperature. But uh, for anyone who hasn't seen this, the basic plot is a teenage boy is haunted in his dreams by a deceased child murderer, Freddy Krueger, who is out to possess him in order to continue his reign of terror in the real world. So even if you haven't seen the first movie, it, they kind of explain what's going on pretty quick. Um, we o- It's great opening. I love this opening. We open with a school bus driving through a suburban neighborhood, dropping off teenagers as the opening credits and title card flash on the screen. And I love when it shows the credit for Robert England as Freddy Krueger. As soon as it disappears, we see him behind the credit driving the school bus. <laughs> it's like, hey, look at that. But we see kids inside the bus. Jesse Walsh, our protagonist, sits alone and sticks out like a sore thumb amongst his peers. 
One by one, the kids get off the bus until it's just Jesse and two annoying, giggling girls that are left. Suddenly, the driver speeds past the girl's stop and the uh, and drives out into the desert while the girls are like, hey, you missed my stop. We see that it's now Freddy driving the bus, which is hissing and smoking. The sky goes dark, and then they come to a stop in the middle of nowhere. Suddenly, all around them, the ground starts to fall away, leaving the bus teetering on two little pillars of stone over a giant chasm. Now, Mike, you know where this scene was recorded at, right? Have no idea. Niagara Falls, New York. (laughs) I mean, it makes sense. Those aren't craters. Those are just the potholes in Niagara Falls. (laughs) I was going to say, that looks like some of the potholes on Ferry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, no joke, there was on, on Walnut a couple years back, they dug up part of the street to, like, get at some of the sewer pipes. But, like, some assholes removed the uh, caution tape and stuff. So I was driving to work at night, and there's just a giant fucking hole big enough to fit a car in. Like, oh, no road coat. I freaked the hell out. Like, granted, I saw it early enough to, like, avoid it. But it was like, holy shit. Like, when I got to work, I ended up calling NFPD and being like, hey, um... Somebody removed all the caution tape and stuff. So, yeah, it was it was bad. Somebody ended up getting hurt. Like some some bicyclist fell in the hole. Shit, so. man, that's, that's a shitty prank. That's probably what it was, you know. Oh yeah, probably thought that mm-hmm. it was hilarious, but yeah, that's a shitty mm-hmm. prank. But it was one of those things. Like you figured that the hole was at least like a good five feet deep, and it was like a good seven foot long. Like it was like they like they can like construction work pulled it up out of the out of the ground type of thing. But yeah, some assholes unblocked it. I was like, what fuckers? But anyway, <laughs> so we have the bus de- teetering on the pillars of stone. Freddy slowly approaches the teens, forcing them toward the back of the bus, making it tip. Freddy strikes, Jess- and then smash cut to Jesse's family at breakfast as he lets out a blood-curdling scream from upstairs, causing <laughs> his parents and sister to take pause and look up. Yeah. <laughs> I love his sister's line. Yeah. Mommy, why can't Jesse wake up like everybody else? <laughs> I also have a, a note here. Sweaty Jesse and tidy whiteys. Subtext. <laughs> I know, right? The, the first time you see the character that isn't like beyond that's beyond like the cold open, it's like tidy whiteys. All right. <laughs> and he like he fixes his bulge. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, OK. <laughs> But we now get the family breakfast scene where Jesse complains about the heat in the house. This will be a running theme, uh, complaining that it's making it hard to sleep. Mom complains about the broken AC and dad promises to fix it. Dad tells Jesse he wants him to finish unpacking his room, which will be important a little later. Jesse's sister is digging through a box of Fu Man Chews breakfast cereal, which cracked me up. That's a great title. Yeah, yeah, that would not work today. But, no. I love it. but it's like Fu Man Chews. Casual <laughs> racism. It reminds me. Well, it's it's those funny cereals that reminded me of the Agatha Krispies that's in House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah. You know, <laughs> were you gonna say? Now, why? I don't think put toys in cereal anymore. What? When did that go out? Right? Oh, I hate it. Now it's all here's a digital code to get a stupid app on your phone. Like, no, yeah. give me give me a stupid plastic trinket <laughs> <laughs> that I'll get bored with by the afternoon. Come on. <laughs> But yeah, her her the the prize that she's digging around in is a set of pointy fingernails. So she puts them on, and Jesse's face drops with a look of fear as he's remembering his dream. Uh, the doorbell rings and leads to one of many scenes, and I talked about this at the top that I absolutely adore about this film. So I'm not going to go into it again. But the whole thing of how Dad is overprotective about who is this, who is this Lisa, you know? 
<laughs> like wants to know everything about Jesse before he takes off. I love how Clue Gulliger was like, uh, like, so what's my character's motivation? And somebody told him, like, oh, you're just a stereotypical, like, suburban dad. He's like, gotcha. (laughs) 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 But, you know, and the funny thing, though, is there is some nuance to his performance. Uh, Two scenes in particular, which I'll get to. But it's just it's 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 the it's the clue touch where it's like, you know, he he puts something into every performance that I just I fucking love him for. Um but yeah, he definitely plays the the stereotypical suburbanite dad, which is hilarious. Um, but we see we meet Lisa, and uh, she and Jesse hop into his jalopy and head off to school. Now this is where we get another gender flip, the one that I talked about at the top, where they're at. Uh, we see the teams during gym class. Uh, the boys are playing baseball, the girls are doing archery, and the girls are just kind of oogling the boys, commenting on them. Um, and I was like, you know, this is something that we see in just about every single 80s teen movie, but it's the gender roles are flipped. We even saw it in Weird Science. At the start of that movie, uh, Gary and Wyatt are standing in the door to the, to the gym class watching the girls play gym. And uh, we, we see, I forget Robert Russell's character, but him and, and Robert Downey Jr. come up and pants them and like yell at the, the girls in the class. <laughs> and then they have to slowly pull up their pants and run away. But... <laughs> That's that's just something you saw a lot in these in these 80s movies. Um, eventually, Grady gets tagged out by Jesse. Grady decides to pants him, which lead, this is the second movie. He, yeah, his first two movies, he's pantsing people. What the fuck? <laughs> it's like his move. <laughs> exactly. He, he went to the audition. He's like, uh, I can pants a guy. <laughs> it's like, check it out. Bare ass. Ta-da. <laughs> but which leads to a fight and the two of them getting punished by Coach Snyder, who forces them to do push-ups. Uh, we find out pretty quickly that the coach is a dick. We also find out that there is a rumor that the coach is gay and hangs out in an S&M joint downtown. But that'll be important later. <laughs> but I love the conversation with Grady and Jesse here because Jesse asks uh, Grady, he's like, you got a problem with me? And Grady seems genuinely surprised and goes, nah, dude, just killing time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he just asked him if he was having sex with her. I mean, yeah. like, it wasn't like, <laughs> I don't know, like you're lame or whatever he you know he was like dude are you uh, you know you get lucky like, yeah, yeah. right but he well, was yeah, but yeah keep in mind, he he tackled him and pantsed him so you know there's that too eh. yeah well I, I, no i think i think this relationship like i said before it's so realistic right because to jesse's mm-hmm. point like he's the new kid at school he's super embarrassed if that opening sequence it if it, if it is if it is a dream of course that's that's the question of the whole movie right so if the opening sequence is a dream i think it gives us like a really good insight into jesse's like persona he's at a new school and he literally dreams the day before he goes or maybe not the first day of school but he goes to school and he's having dreams about being laughed at on the school bus you mm-hmm. know and uh and so like i think more so than just freddie being involved it's like he clearly has his own insecurities and then he goes to school and he seems like he's doing pretty good you know out on gym class playing the game and then some random dude pants him in front of everybody so of course they're going to start a fight but you know Grady was just goofing around. I, I don't. He right. wasn't. He wasn't picking on Jesse specifically. It was Jesse was just the guy, and they had a little run in because you know he tacked about too hard or whatever. And like dudes being dudes, he was just like, "Ha ha, I got your back." And mm-hmm. you know, and then of course Jesse's gonna be like, "Dude, what's your problem with me?" And Grady says he doesn't have a problem with him. And like in the very next sequence, when we see him in the in the in the in the locker room, they're just bantering like friends. All like right. it's like you know, you forgive and forget, and you move on. Exactly. 
<laughs> I, I I really do like the character of Grady. He's he's a he's a great sidekick character in this movie. Especially later on when he, they're eating lunch and he, he's just. <laughs> 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 that is one of my favorite scenes in the whole damn movie. It's so funny. <laughs> but after the two hit the showers, they're talking in the locker room. And Grady asks Jesse if he just moved into town. And he explains that they moved into a house on Elm Street. Grady goes, the big white one with the bars and the windows. And Jesse tells him, that's the one. And he goes, uh, he says, you can tell your dad he's a real chump. And he goes, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, there was a girl that went crazy there. She saw her boyfriend murdered across the street. And it kind of gives you a little, a little backstory about part one in case you hadn't seen it. But one thing I do find interesting is they keep talking about how Nancy went crazy. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like that was how they were going to write the character out of the franchise until Wes Craven, you know, kind of come back, came back with part three and was like, no, bring her back. You know, so like, because mm-hmm. they were, they had, they didn't even offer Heather Langenkamp uh, a role in this film. They were just like, nope, move on, new survivors. You know, first lady went crazy, move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so. for me, like, I remember being a kid and having not seen the first one. I didn't know who Nancy was. I didn't know anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So when, when Grady's like, oh yeah, like some chick went crazy because he saw her boyfriend get murdered. And like, I'm, I remember being, I don't know how old it was. It must've been like seven or something. And just thinking like, wait, what, what, what happened? Like, what's going on? You know? And like, right. it's like, it's like this, it's like this awesome world building to the point where like, I didn't need the first movie to uh, understand this one. And of course we're going to learn a little more, a lot more about Nancy, but I really liked the fact that they did that because not only did it tie the movies together, but to your point, if you hadn't seen it, like, so what? But I like that how they, yeah, they, they give this portrayal of Nancy, like she went crazy, which is like what I just assumed happened. Like, you know, chicken, uh, what's her name at the end of, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like she just goes crazy. Right. Like you have a, <laughs> you have this traumatic ordeal, you know, half your final girls, like, they, you know, they don't really like make it in the long run, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I, and, and I think, I, again, this goes back to the whole thing about uh, 80s horror movies and how the sequel was just like, fuck it, we're not paying people to return. We're going to get a whole new cast of young up-and-comers, pay them cheap, and, and you know, put them through hell on set. Um, but that's it's kind of like what they did even with, with Robert England. Like, I was going to save this for the trivia, but let, let's just throw it out here. They started Nightmare on Elm Street 2 without Robert England. They weren't going to pay him what he was now worth. Like what he basically he and his agent were like, well, hey, you know, after the first movie, we think we need a little bit more money for the second one. And they were like, nope, next. And they hired some random extra and put because Robert Shea was like, well, why do we need Robert England? It's just a guy in a mask. And apparently he was so awful (laughs) that Jack Shoulder was just like, "Uh, no, we we need Robert England. And like (laughs) right at the start of the film, you know, he he got Robert Shea to agree to pull Robert England back, um, which again, thank God they did because he made this character and you can see the elements of it happening in this movie, uh, like where he, <clears throat> he adds some layers uh, to the character. Like there, there's a line, we'll talk about it later, but there's a line at the pool party that was improv by Robert England that really adds to the mythology for the upcoming films. Um, so yeah, th- you know, thankfully Robert Shea saw the error of his ways and and uh, cast the original. But, yeah. But, that, but again, that was something you didn't do. You didn't recast or you didn't cast the originals because you'd have to pay them more money now. Yeah, especially like for these uh, lead uh, slasher characters that wear mm-hmm. masks half the time. I mean, that's why you know, and I could be remembering this wrong, so pull my card if I am. But like Kane Hodder was the first Jason to come back, right? And mm-hmm. and. Uh, 
I, I was I was going to mention Michael Myers first, and I like veered because I'm like, wait, hang on a second, let me think about that. But yeah, even Michael Myers, like you had like three different dudes in the first movie alone playing that character, yep. you know. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, it just wasn't common. But but and I think the difference here is is the performance and the and you actually do get to get the facial expressions that I don't I don't I thought Jackie Earl Haley was a great replacement for Robert oh. England in the remake. I mean, he was the character he was totally the actor agree. that I was rooting for before I even knew they were making it. You know, I was like I remember seeing him as Rorschach and just going, "Oh, this dude's like he needs to play Freddy. Like this is awesome mm-hmm. because he's got the attitude and the facial expressions and you know whatever we can you can listen to that Race with Rentals episode where we talked about our uh, our take on the remake episode 4. Um mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can say what you want about what they actually made in terms of the final product, but, like, you need the personality for this type of killer. Oh, yeah. I mean, the only other person that I think could could have pulled it off uh, who got thrown around a lot uh, after the remake when they were talking about possibly doing uh, prequels and stuff, and they were like, well, Robert England had already said, I'm not going to – I'm not doing the makeup again. Like, after Freddy versus Jason, like, once – once the sequel kind of fell and you know fell off where they weren't going to do Freddy versus Jason Part Two, um, he famously was like, "I'm done. I'm not doing the makeup anymore." He did it for that one Goldberg's cameo, and like a few, um, I know there was like a Make a Wish Foundation thing he did it for as well. But like, yeah, he did he did it a couple of times, but not for like a full filming. And um, but he even said he wanted to see Kevin Bacon in the role. Oh, that would have been so good. Kevin and Bacon I'm like, does not get enough villain roles. Yeah, and I'm like, Kevin Bacon, he's got the fucking chops. He could pull it off. You know what Kevin Bacon can do? And I, and I hate to even bring this movie up, but you look at that movie Sleepers, and man, mm-hmm. he can make a creepy, disgusting character seem like he's just having himself a good old time. And oh, <laughs> like I, I hate that character from that movie so well, much. Shit. Look at him in The Hollow Man as well. Yeah. He played a great villain in the Hollow Man, so it's he like did. he Kevin Bacon definitely could have pulled it off. But now I'm wondering, like he might be getting a little too up there in the in years <laughs> as well. So uh, yeah, I don't know about the, the the newcomers if they do another nightmare, but we'll see. But uh, so yeah, after Grady tells Jesse all about the the house, uh, <laughs> Jesse of course thinks he's full of shit and leaves. He's like, "You're full of shit, Grady," and he walks away. And I I love the look on Grady's face. He's like. What I do, what I say, like he just looks so miffed. But that night we see Jesse unable to sleep once again from the heat. He goes down to the kitchen to get a drink and sees someone lurking in the backyard out the window. Uh, so he does what anyone in a horror movie does, and he goes to investigate. Because why not? <laughs> Jesse search, searches the backyard and sees a glow coming from his basement window. He looks in and sees Freddie burning things in the furnace. He goes back inside, calls out for his dad, and is confronted by Freddy. And they have this this little back and forth where Freddy tells him that they have special work together, or special work to do together, saying, you've got the body and I've got the brain. Uh, this is one of the most famous scenes in the movie where Freddy peels back his head and reveals his pulsating brain. So, I guess that was a Robert Shea line, I guess. He was like, put that in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, yeah. You've got the body, i got the brain. 
And imagine this this scene where he pulls his brain back again. Like me having ne- never seen the first movie, like this is my first real introduction to Freddy. Like where he like you know he's doing something besides just goofing around with the school bus, you know. And mm. and so you know, I was seven years old and I saw this. He goes down in the creepy ass basement and there's a fire and it's dark as hell. And then dude peels his fucking head off and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> and I got I gotta say cinematography wise, I fucking love this shot of freddy because he's mostly in shadow like there's enough light to see the pulsating brain there's enough light to see his eyes and his his smiling mouth but he's so cast in shadow it almost looks like a comic book panel like it's it's heavily shadowed and Mm -hmm. ah, i love it because we don't get a good look at freddy until like the end of the movie so it's just so fucking eerie looking and, then, and, and we'll get to it, but another reason why I like the pool scene so much, and like I said, we'll talk about it when we get there, all the reasons to love it, but for me, it was like, because Freddy just, he just walks out, like, he just comes out, like, he's not in the shadow, he's not hiding anymore, like, there's always mm-hmm. that, there's always that good scene in a horror movie where it's like, you know, you don't see Jaws, you don't see Jaws, you get a little glimpse of Jaws, and then eventually it's like, okay, and we're done screwing around, that's Jaws. Yeah, you know? and like, <laughs> enough you get a foreplay. Good <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's time to fuck, like, you know, it's just that. <laughs> Subtext. <laughs> Subtext, yes, exactly. <laughs> so the next day at school, Jesse's teacher is prattling on and on about the digestive system while Jesse is slowly nodding off in class. Suddenly, a snake is crawling on Jesse. He wakes up screaming, causing the teacher to run over and get the snake off of him. He scolds him saying, What's that? I have questions about this scene. I, so do I. I was going to say, but, He's called him good. If you want to play with animals, Mr. Walsh, join the circus. And then he puts the snake back in the in the tank as you know Grady and everyone else laughs. And I, I love how Jesse just smirks and flips off Grady. Yeah. <laughs> but, but go, go ahead. How's, how's the snake even get out of him? Thank you. <laughs> I had the and, same exact thing. And like nobody noticed. Even if he got up and sleepwalked, was sleepwalking towards it, nobody noticed him doing that. Like I don't understand how the snake got out of him. And it's, because it's, it's, obviously it was a dream. Like it was, you know, they want you to think it was a dream. But mm-hmm. once the teacher, but then you realize he's awake and the snake's on him. But yeah, I, I never, under, I never understood that. Like, how did the snake get to him in the first place? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I nef- definitely did not understand it at all when I was a kid. I just went along with it, you know, as like, okay, here's a weird thing. Like, there's something weird about Jesse and his dreams, and he's somehow able to like affect reality. And we could go through and like pick every scene apart on like whether it's like if the real world is the dream world, or, like what's going on. But like this is this is a sequence with this one and when uh, in the Coach Schneider sequence that's coming up in a little bit, like I have like thoughts on. But yeah, I, honestly, I think that this was just some kid behind him, just like not Ron, but some other kid pulled a prank on him, just like Ron did when he pantsed him outside. And some there was probably like the science teacher wasn't like scared of the snake. It's probably their like you know class pet, you know. And oh, so yeah. I, I think one of the other kids just like stuck it on them and they were all just kind of like you know quietly giggling we saw them like yelling and making rude comments and stuff before when the teacher was talking you know i think (laughs) that some some kid sitting behind him just snuck it onto his shoulder and everyone else was just like you know don't say anything and then but because jesse he's having this weird his freddy possession is kind of breaking down the the wall between the real world and the dream world and he's affecting other people's dreams and he's affecting the real world itself i honestly jesse probably just like sensed that he had something on his shoulder and his brain immediately just went to create this 
you know, this dream that was exactly the same as what was really happening. And it's, I think if it had been done on purpose, it would have been a nice clue to kind of like let us know, ooh, like he can, he can, you know, he can see the real world in his dreams. But I really think it was probably just the filmmakers like needing an excuse to have him scream and have a nightmare again, you know? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> see, now, because I, I always question, it, it made it implied, like they implied that it was Grady pranking him again. Because yeah. right, like right when Jesse's nodding off, Grady looks over and smirks and then like taps the guy that's sitting next to him and kind of nods toward Jesse like, look, and they're both smirking. So it's like it almost want it's almost like the filmmakers want you to believe that Grady pranked him again. But then again, you have the teacher at the front of the room looking at the class. The snake tank is on the other side of the room, like past where Jesse is. So if Grady was the one that pranked him, if that's what they were trying to say, he had to get up, walk across the room, get the snake out of the tank put it on Jesse and get back to his desk without the teacher noticing. And it's like, yeah. no, uh, it doesn't make easy. any sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thoughts. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's one of those silly moments that, and we, we will see this all throughout this month where we get random moments in Freddy movies. It's like, that doesn't make any damn sense. But the filmmakers kind of want you to be like, well, is it a dream? Did it really happen? What's going on? The whole movie might be a dream. You don't know, you know, <laughs> but uh, so we cut to Lisa at home swimming in her massive pool. And I'm like, seriously, what the fuck do the parents in these movies do? Like what, okay. what, what kind of jobs do they have? Well, exactly. they, already made it, they already made it clear that she's rich. Right. But, in every Nightmare on Elm Street, there's somebody that's got a fucking massive house. <laughs> yeah. I, I noticed that rec not this time when I watched it, but the last time when I watched this before we did our Raise the Rentals episode. And I don't think I ever realized, like, just how massive and expensive this property is. Now that I'm an adult with a mortgage, I'm just <laughs> like, what the hell, dude? Like, and what's, what the, what's even weirder is, like, like all these 80s movies – there's no freaking way that these rich ass kids go to the same high school as, you know, Jesse and the other like quote unquote like normal kids. Like you know that they're going to private school or they mm -hmm. live in some neighborhood where their, you know, their property taxes are paying for that high school that they attend to be like a goddamn palace. They're not going to the same, you know, chewing gum on the desks <laughs> piece of crap school that like the plebe kids go to. But mm -hmm. in the in the 80s movies, everybody was all mixed up together. Well, yeah, and it's it's especially apparent in part four where you got Alice, who is like her character. They mention multiple times how poor her family is because her dad's an alcoholic and how, you know, he can't hold down a job. And her and her brother have to, like, work after school and, like, just just try to help pay the bills. And it's like this tiny ass little house. And one of her best friends was a like, Grenda or whatever her name was. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. She's like this rich fucking model. Like, like, like her mom wants her to have this modeling career and we see her house and it's like a fucking mansion. And I'm like, so wait, they're going to the same high school and they're like best friends. Yeah, right. Like, really? <laughs> like, I, I don't buy it, but whatever. It's it's Hollywood. Um, So, yeah, we see her swimming. Her mom comes out and tells her that Jesse's on the phone. She gets out of the pool excitedly and answers the phone. Cut to Jesse going to leave, uh, leave to meet up with Lisa but his dad stops him, telling him he's not going anywhere until that room is unpacked. And he's like, oh, come on. He's like, nope, upstairs. Come on, buddy boy. Let's go. <laughs> like, I love Clue Gulliger so much. <laughs> he's, he's so oh, fucking good. Dad. Yeah, exactly. He's like, come on. He's, nope, nope, upstairs. Come on. And he smacks the paper on the arm of his chair. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
But we now get the infamous cleaning the room dance sequence where Jesse does a very homoerotic dance complete with booty bouncing and pop gun dick action. <laughs> oh, come on. We, we've all we've all danced like this while we're cleaning. We've all done it. I mean, just you while, say, you're a liar. Just while cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> Mike just does it, you know, just because it's a Tuesday night. He's like, all right, exactly. time, time for my pop gun dick dance. <laughs> pop gun dick dance. Oh, also, my God. So it's Tuesday. So did you already do it? Or are you doing it after the podcast? Oh, I'll be doing it after the podcast. Yeah. And I actually do have a pop gun. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, you do, big boy. Hey. <laughs> hey, oh, subtext, subtext. <laughs> but yeah, so. While he's dancing around, uh, of course, Bob and Lisa just walk right in. Right as Jesse pops his dick gun and jumps off the bed. Mm. Like, I love it because Bob walks in. She's like, Jesse, turn down the. Oh, <laughs> like turn down the music. But oops, I didn't know you were dancing around doing your pop gun dick dance. Um, well, whatever he was doing, it worked. Yeah, no, Lisa was intrigued because uh, she told him that. Uh, Oh, I told your mom that you invited me over. And he's like, well, I'm just cleaning my room. She's like, I know. I just thought you could use some help. So now the two of them start cleaning the room. I got to no- mention a couple things. Now, there's the sign on the door that says no chicks allowed. So mm-hmm. right there. Uh, there's the the moment where Lisa holds up his jock itch spray. <laughs> and she's like, where does this go? And he's like, uh, and puts it in his desk. <laughs> and in his closet, there's a board game called Probe. <laughs> yes. So subtext (laughs) (laughs) oh god so while they're cleaning the room jesse uh or i'm sorry lisa stumbles upon nancy's diary from the first film that's up in jesse's closet they decide to look through it uh after reading a sultry entry about i was gonna say is it a diary or is it one of those five dollar walmart books romance books yeah exactly she was like talking about Glenn changing across the way and she knows she shouldn't look but she can't help herself (laughs) but and then they stumble upon an entry about Freddy Uh, Jesse reads it it says he comes to me at night horrible ugly dirty under the sheets with me like he's like kind of laughing about (laughs) it (laughs) right he goes tearing at my nightgown with his steel claws after he says steel claws his face kind of drops he goes on, he says, his name is Fred, and he keeps trying to take me to the boiler room. He wants to kill me. Jesse looks scared, and Lisa takes over the diary and starts reading, and she says, Tina is dead. Jesse explains to Lisa what Grady told him about Nancy and how she went crazy. So he looks, he looks freaked out after finding that. Um, cut to that night, Jesse is once again tossing and turning in bed. He goes to turn on his lamp, and his lampshade is melted. <laughs> he... He looks around the room to see random objects melting from the heat. Jesse gets up and heads down into the basement where he looks in the furnace and finds Freddy's glove. So it's we saw in the previous film how Mrs. Thompson had it hidden in the furnace. Uh, Freddy shows up and tells Jesse to try it on for size. Jesse refuses, throwing the glove down, and Freddy tells him, kill for me. Jesse tries to run, trips, and falls over, only to see Freddy is gone, but the glove is lying next to him. So... He fall like he it's basically like he was sleepwalking because yeah. when he falls, the, the you know, Freddie's gone. Everything's quiet, but the glove is still there. So the next day at school, uh, Jesse is telling Lisa about the dream 
and says that it was like he was he was sleepwalking. Um, and she goes, maybe it was a premonition or something like that. She goes, have you ever experienced anything like that before? And he's like, no, I haven't. So she's like, hmm, you know, maybe you're psychic. Like, I love her. Just she goes right to psychic, you know. <laughs> but uh, Lisa borrows the diary from Jesse so she can read a bit more. Just then, Lisa's friend Carrie comes up and asks all about the party Lisa's throwing that weekend. More on that later. Where she's like, is your dad going to be the DJ again? <laughs> Last time he just played Benny Goodman albums. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Benny Goodman's good times. But Lisa gives Jesse a smooch and they head to class. Uh, now we get a little filler scene that I just, I fucking love. <laughs> we see Grady and, and Jesse in gym class. He goes, hey, Grady, do you remember your dreams? Only the wet ones. <laughs> and then Snyder walks by going, no talking. <laughs> Why? Why no talking? Like, <laughs> I know, right? Every time I see this, I'm like, what kind of a boot camp is this? <laughs> I, just, I just love that back and forth, though. He's like, he's trying to be serious, and he's like, only the wet ones. No talking. <laughs> like just... But we see the boys in the locker room changing. Jesse is uh, saying how Schneider was wrong for calling Grady out on that last play. And Grady goes, yeah, Schneider has a stick up his ass today. And Jesse leans back and goes, Schneider always has a stick up his ass. Right as Schneider walks in and says, hello, dirt balls. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut to Jesse and Grady doing push-ups in the dirt again. Again, there's like 16 scenes of them doing push-ups. <laughs> I love it. But that night at Jesse's house, uh, mom covers up the pet birds for the night and complains about the heat. Dad goes to check the thermostat and sees that it's 97 degrees. Suddenly, the bird cage starts rattling. Jesse pulls the cover back, and one of the lovebirds has killed the other one and begins to spaz out. <laughs> Jesse opens the cage for some fucking reason. And we get the hilarious bird attack. <laughs> the lovebird flies around the room, dive bombing the family until it eventually explodes in a glorious shower of feathers and viscera. <laughs> Fucking comedy gold. I love that scene. And it's so stupid. Because <laughs> it's it. like, of all the animals to attack, it's like a little lovebird. <laughs> it's like, it has love in the name. <laughs> Right. But it like dive bombs Clue and it's like it like rips his face. He's like, oh god. <laughs> it falls over. It knocks over a lamp. It's like terrorizing the daughter. It's so fucking funny. Just imagine like what it would be like to film that. Like there's some guy with like the boom mic stand who's like, you know, <laughs> jiggling like a rubber bird around on a wire. And they're just and these like professional actors are just like, oh god, it's so scary. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it's like, uh forget um Oh my God, uh, D. Wallace was talking about that on Critters. How she's like, how we had to act afraid. She's like, there's literally these balls of fur that people are rolling off camera, and we have to run away like we're terrified. She's <laughs> like, it was very hard to do. <laughs> oh my God. And I, I love this whole sequence because. We cut to dad trying to check the stove, thinking that it's the gas because mom said it was that she thought she smelled gas. Um, she tries to say now she's unsure. And I love dad's response. He goes, what the hell is it then? Huh? Bird rabies? You know, it's that cheap damn bird seed you've been buying. <laughs> I fucking lost it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so Jesse tells them it's not a leaky gas pipe that caused it. And dad immediately accuses him of blowing up the bird with a cherry bomb. <laughs> he's like you know how he did it he did a cherry bomb didn't you 
<laughs> Jesse tells him, you can't talk to me like that, and storms out, causing Dad to go from zero to 60, screaming at Jesse. I love his overact. He's like, Jesse, Jesse! <laughs> he just starts screaming. <laughs> that night, once again, Jesse can't sleep due to the heat. He gets dressed, goes down to the kitchen, where inside lightning zaps some dishes at the counter. You know how it does. I was just like, wait, what? Yeah. It's indoor lightning. Yeah, Jesse, you got that indoor lightning. Of course. <laughs> Jesse then decides it's time to hit the town, barefoot and half dressed, and heads out into the rain. God. He w- winds up at an S and M bar, Don's place, which is filled yeah. with all manner of colorful characters. I cannot, com- I cannot confirm nor deny if I've ever been there or not. <laughs> been to Don's place. <laughs> I, I may have been there. Oh my god, I, I love this though because uh, one of the colorful characters is Bob Shea in his best Rob Halford cosplay, um, <laughs> which cracks me up that he was like, I didn't, I didn't know there was anything gay about the movie. When you find out the backstory on this, like Jack Shoulder told uh, Bob Shea to go to the pleasure chest to get an outfit for the movie. And he came there with his two daughters who were like eight and nine years old at the time. And they were looking and the daughters were just like, oh, here's some cool things you could put on your arm, dad. That's got spikes on it. (laughs) Like he he just thought he was getting dressed. And, like, the shop proprietor was like, sir, you can't have kids in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I I love that little backstory. I think that's hilarious. But Jesse orders a beer, and before, before he can drink it, he's stopped by Coach Snyder in his best leather daddy gear. <laughs> he takes Jesse back to the school and makes him run laps in the gym. Like, okay, in what world would this actually happen? Hey, I caught you at a bar in the middle of the night. I'm going to make you run laps the fuck right. yeah <laughs> and, see and, and i have my thoughts about this scene now but as a kid i was just like man like high school teachers suck <laughs> right <laughs> he, he was probably he was probably jerking off as he was running around the gym well yeah i mean he he was he, he uh grady told him earlier he's like he likes guys like you jesse <laughs> so I well you know i do question why yeah, yeah. The coach he goes and he like checks on Jesse. He tells him to like hit the showers or whatever. And then he goes to his little cabinet of sporting goods and takes out a jump rope. Only a jump yeah. rope. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I I got the comment here that after yeah he tells him to, to hit the hit the showers he goes and decides to organize his jump rope. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was gonna organize organize it around his penis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he was. I think he was gonna maybe he was gonna do he was gonna pull a um. Oh my God! Why can't I think of his name? The dude from Kung Fu, um, Carradine. Carradine, yeah, he's gonna pull yeah, a David, David Carradine and choke himself. <laughs> <all>. <laughs> but um, so now, also, did you guys notice the uh, half-naked muscle men poster on Schneider's office door? This time I did. <laughs> oh, Sub- I didn't notice it. Subtext. <laughs> but Schneider hears something while Jesse is in the shower looks around and finds that there's no one there. When he returns to his office, suddenly he's attacked with balls. <laughs> Subtext. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he just, he's literally getting attacked by all of the balls in his office. Oh my God. The jump ropes Blue then. Balls, yellow balls, black balls, all <laughs> kinds of balls. Exactly. <laughs> Big balls, little balls, fuzzy balls. <laughs> Oh, the jump ropes that wrap around his wrists and drag him off to the showers while he screams. 
Jesse watches in horror as Schneider is strung up, stripped naked, and towel whipped on his ass. Oh. <laughs> I mean, now would have been if that's how he died. Exactly. If he was if he was rat tailed to death. <laughs> now I will say this, and I'm sure you guys will agree with me. If you have ever received a a wet rat tail, that shit hurts a lot. Oh hell yeah, dude. He would have been bleeding. That would have split him open. Yeah. I, I still, there was this guy in, in my high school. I wish I could remember his fucking name. He was a couple grades higher than me. He was like the, the biggest asshole when it came to rat tails. Like he would wait till everyone was changing. He would like just dip the towel in the sink and just crack you in the back with it. Like it was, oh, it fucking sucked. Like he got everybody at least once. Fuck that guy. <laughs> right. I mean, don't go, don't worry. We all got him back, but it was still like, Fuck, he was too good at it. Like, that shit hurt. <laughs> but eventually, Steam fills the room, obscuring the view. We see Freddy approaching Snyder from behind, and he slashes the fuck out of him. <laughs> Blood sprays from the shower heads as Snyder slumps over dead. We pan out to reveal Jesse covered in blood, wearing the glove. He looks at the glove, his gloved hand and screams. So this is where <laughs> Act 1 ends. What are you guys thinking? Oh, man. Okay. So I'm just going to say it here because this is where I, this whole sequence is like my theory on what this movie is. Again, as a kid, I had no idea. I just thought that Jesse was being possessed by some weird, like, you know, otherworldly monster who could like affect the real world. So when I found out that Freddy was like a dream monster or a dream demon creature, it was it, this movie becomes really confusing if you know right. that, right? You know what? If you just watch it having no idea who Freddy is, it makes perfect sense. It has its own internal logic, but knowing who Freddy is, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So you have to look at it sideways. <laughs> you kind of have to squint at it and figure out like what is happening. And you know, my theory on this is that much like you know Freddy, who several times gets pulled into the real world. When he's in the real world, he's weak, but he's not powerless, right? He mm. he has like like ghost type powers, um, but not like the god like powers that he has in the dream. So I think what's what's happening in this whole movie is demonstrated here because it's super confusing. Like, why is Jesse wandering around? downtown somewhere like he he was like sleepwalking maybe or maybe he just woke up and then he wanders around he's like in a daze gets busted by his teacher like did nobody call his parents you know like the teacher didn't call home or nothing right. he just he just goes and does laps like it's no big deal like he's just going along with the punishment and then his teacher still in his like snm gear is like hanging out organizing his ropes and then freddie or the spirit of Freddy, like, murders the coach, but also it's affecting the real world. Because, like, Jesse sees, like, all the water, you know, spigots in the shower come on. So, like, they're mm -hmm. both experiencing it. And so, yeah, again, I think it is happening. Um, I think it could be happening in the real world. But I, I think that these guys are both dreaming. And it might be, like, a sleepwalking type of, like, half-awake kind of dream. And that's why it's so affecting in the real world. But I think... Uh, like I said, I think that uh, Schneider is actually dreaming, whether he was asleep before all of this started. And that's actually oh. the most that's the most interesting theory, because what if this entire thing was the coach's dream? The coach was like, oh, he's dreaming that he's down at the S&M club. And that like cute new boy from school just wanders in all wet and covered <laughs> in the rain. And I had to like warm him up, you know, and then like, oh, you've been a bad boy trying to drink a beer. Now it's time for your punishment. You know, and I'm like, when you when you approach it from that perspective, like what what Ron said before 
before about like only the wet ones. That's what this is. This is Schneider's Holy dream. Shit. But Jesse knows about it because Jesse has like the Freddy power. So Jesse really he's like he's like halfway in the dream with the coach. You know what I mean? That's crazy. I never would have thought I like that. I like that idea. That's interesting. See, <laughs> my theory is it's Jesse's doing it. Like he's just out there killing people? Yeah. I think he's doing it. See, under under Freddie's control. Right. And I think that's kind of what they're they're trying to they're trying to like say that that's what's happening. But then there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense about it. Like, where did the glove go? You know, if he had the glove and he was at, like physically there at the school with the glove, like we're going to see in a minute that the cops pick him up and he clearly doesn't have the glove or any clothes. So he was like wandering around on the highway naked um, and not dressed. So it's like his, his clothes and his glove would be back at the school. But we find out the next day when the cops have found the body, there's no evidence that Jesse was there. So it's like what what's going on and then again the way this movie ends you have to question again like much like the first movie was the entire thing a dream did it actually happen you know so it's like there's there's a theory with part one that you know all of the stuff that happens in the movie was nancy's dream and then it was like it was like almost like a premonition that then afterward it all happened so like the weird shit at the end with her mom getting sucked through the window. Like none of that happened. That was all part of the dream because they mention in this movie that her mom committed suicide. So there's this theory that when, when part three rolls around, like, yeah, Nancy actually did witness, you know, her friends get killed. She did have these horrible nightmares. Her mom did kill herself. Like all of these crazy things happened but not in the way that it was portrayed in the first film because it was all like a premonition of what was to happen. So it, you can, you can really play with the, the nightmare on Elm street stories for that very reason. Cause it's, there's often the question, at least up until, uh, I, I think up until part three, there there's the whole, is it a dream? Isn't it a dream? Now there's moments throughout the films from that point on where you have to question, is this scene a dream or not? But they get, they have like definitive ends where it's like, yeah, there's, there's, there isn't that famous Bob Shea coda at the end of the movie where it's like, aha, but there's more, you know, <laughs> like every time we, we get that little hint at that there being more, it's because we see the person sleeping. So like in part three where we see, I forget his name, but when he goes to sleep, that's when we see the light in the little paper mache house turn on, but it's only after he went to bed. Whereas the, these ones, it's like we see the characters awake and weird shit happens. And you're like, wait, is it a dream? What happened? So yeah. I, I, I don't know. I love I love these these kind of fan theories about Nightmare. <laughs> but that's a good one, Josh. I've never heard that before uh, of it being a Schneider's wet dream. And I'm like, that's interesting. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that plays with that that concept really heavily. That's fun. But all right. So <clears throat> back to the movie. Act two picks up uh, with the police bringing Jesse home in the middle of the night and explain to Mr. and Mrs. Walsh that they found him naked on the highway. I love how they say it, though. They're like, does this belong to you? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Keep a short leash on that guy or whatever. (laughs) But I I love this part because of how genuinely concerned dad is. He, He doesn't play the stereotypical angry dad role. He seems more scared and worried for his son. 
he asks him, he said, he goes, I just got two questions for you and then we can all get some sleep. What are you taking and who are you getting it from? Like, and he just, he seems <laughs> genuinely like scared, you know, and Je- Jesse tells his mom, he goes, I'm not on drugs. And he goes, I just want to go to bed. So she leads him upstairs while dad stands at the bottom of the stairs looking terrified. And I'm like, that is, that's the clue Gulliger that I, that I love that. He's like, you know what? Yeah. I'm playing this dumb suburbanite dad but I'm going to bring some nuance to the performance to show like this character cares about his family as much as he's still going to yell and oh, it's a damn cheap bird seed you're buying. It's bird rabies. Like he's still going to have those lines, but he's going to apply that level of like, I, I have, I have some acting chops, damn it. <laughs> like, yeah. And oh, I was so good. But the next day we see dad removing the bars from the outside windows of the house while Jesse leaves for school and mom follows him out to his car, trying to convince him to let her help. Uh, he tells her he just needs to be left alone and takes off. Mom tries to talk to dad about getting Jesse some help and dad clearly frustrated and still worried about worried that his son is on drugs fires back that Jesse needs a swift kick in the butt and the methadone clinic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, eighties dads. <laughs> But again, this is such a great a testament to his acting abilities because he seems like he, you know, like he's playing the hard ass dad, all pissy and annoyed. But the moment mom walks in, you know, or like walks inside, he looks scared again. But then, right before we cut away, we get the comedic pratfall moment <laughs> where he like almost falls off the ladder and is like, whoa, and grabs on. <laughs> because it's Clue Gulliger. Exactly. I'm like, God, I I love that man. He's he was so good. But amazing. You know, what's funny is that he's one of those guys I saw in a million movies growing up and he was just one of those faces, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. sometimes you go and you look up a guy, but sometimes it's just like, oh, it's that guy, you know, and you don't really think about it that much. Um, yep. And I would even seen him in like movies by like Westerns my dad would watch and stuff. But it wasn't actually until that Project Greenlight show where his son made Feast or wrote Feast yep. um, that I was like, oh, wait that's who that guy is you know mm-hmm. like, i was like oh I, now, now i'm kind of putting it all together because they gave him a little bit of a spotlight on that reality show you know to kind of talk about you know his family and i'm like oh i had no idea like he, and, and he comes from like you know he has a whole family in the entertainment business you know not just his kid um and i'm like oh that's so cool like he's a he's like a real like hollywood like staple and ever right. since then now i now of course that was years ago that was 20 years ago and now of course i recognize him every time i see him and it's like oh yeah i love that guy I, I always love hearing uh, like uh, female casting directors talking about him because like I've I've seen so many, you know, like documentaries on horror films and on like, you know, 80s action movies and all that shit where it's like you always have like the casting director being like, oh, we got Clue and he oh, he's so dreamy. Like they always like and like the ladies in Hollywood, all the all the like middle aged women in Hollywood in the 80s were just like, oh, he's a dreamboat. <laughs> it's, it always cracks me up. But now, if you want to see him just being fucking zany, watch the sequels to Feast. Because Feast 2 and 3, I, I love the first Feast movie. I think it's a great horror film. It's it's ridiculous. It's over the top in the best way. The sequels are really not good. They are they, they kind of do the same thing the Human Centipede sequels did, like just indulge in the gross, over-the-top weird shit. And it ends on like the most absurd level possible. Like, there's no way anyone watching the movies would see the ending coming because it, it is so out of left field. It's like, what the okay. fuck just happened? Um, <laughs> okay. But he he makes it through all three movies up to a point 
Uh, but his character just gets more and more and more fucking ridiculous as it goes on. So just, yeah, if you want to just watch him hamming it up and having fun, those are some fun movies to watch. Nice. But it's also one of the only movies I, I can think of that has a POV shot of someone getting eaten and then shat out by a creature. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty disturbing. Um, but Jesse arrives at school to see police everywhere. He finds out what happened and, uh, you know, when Grady tells him that someone killed Schneider. Uh, making Jesse realize that what happened wasn't a dream. So, dun-dun-dun. That night, we see Jesse up in bed yet again. He hears something in his desk drawer rattling around. He opens the drawer to find Freddy's glove moving on its own. He hears Freddy say, kill for me. Jesse slowly walks uh, walks out into the hall and into his little sister's room and opens the door to find her jumping rope and singing the iconic one-two Freddy's coming for you song. Um, that's the only time in the movie that we get that. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and it's and it's it's not the three little girls. It's just you know his sister dressed up like one of the little girls in white. Um, <laughs> the next morning, Jesse confronts his dad about what happened to uh, what happened in the house before they moved in, asking if he knew about or if he knew why it was on the market for so long. Uh, Jesse's dad plays dumb, and he's like, "Oh, you know, they couldn't find the right buyer. That's all." <laughs> And then Jesse lays it all out about the murder across the street. Nancy going mad. Her mom committing suicide in their living room. I mean, you know, that that didn't happen. But according to this movie, it did. Uh, so it's like, I guess we have to figure going forward. Yeah, she didn't get killed by Freddy. Um, but mom and dad are, are like, they're kind of freaking out and saying that now is not the time to discuss it after they notice that. Uh, what's her name? Angela is getting all scared. Suddenly, the toaster catches fire. Dad quickly puts it out and is like, well, would you look at that? It wasn't even plugged in. Ain't that the damnedest thing? <laughs> I, I think those little bits that are so funny. It's the clueless dad moments that are so good. <laughs> so cut to Jesse and Lisa driving. Lisa is telling Jesse that Schneider's death isn't his fault, even if he did dream about it. She's convinced that he's picking up psychic signals or something. They end up going to an old power plant on the outskirts of town. Lisa tells Jesse that she did some digging and found out that Fred Krueger used to work there. Um, she shows him articles on the Springwood Slasher. She goes on to tell him that the entire or the, that the entries in the diary where Nancy talked about dreaming about a boiler room, it, she believes, is in that building. So they go inside and poke around. Lisa tells him that Fred Krueger murdered 20 kids in that building. She's hoping that Jesse will feel something once they're there, like some kind of psychic activity. But unfortunately, uh, all we get is a rather lame rat jump scare. Womp womp. Yeah, which is a bummer. <laughs> but, but as a kid, when I you know when I saw this when I was in the second grade, this was a really creepy sequence. You know, mm -hmm. they, they drive out to the edge of town. They will go into this old creepy building. And, you know, and we grew up in Niagara Falls with lots of like old like yep. you know, creepy factories and shut down foundry buildings and power plants and stuff. And yeah, just to talk about him taking kids out there and killing them, even though, even though they didn't find anything, it was just like this, you know, desolate moment. And yeah, for me as a kid, like it t totally worked. You know. And oh, absolutely. I remember riding my bike up Buffalo Ave as a kid, and just being like creeped out by all the fucking factories. Yeah, and mainly because of this movie and other '80s, uh, you know, eighty '80s action movies where there was always some kind of fight in a factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually. <laughs> But uh, but no, it was it was eerie. Um, but yeah, nothing, nothing but a rat jump scare in this. So but we cut to Jesse's basement. We see the furnace kick up 
and we get a POV shot of someone coming up from the basement through the house and into Angela's bedroom, where we hear Freddie's voice say, wake up, little girl. We pan out and see that it's actually Jesse. He goes to tuck his sister back in and is shocked to see that he's wearing the glove. So more and more, he's Freddie seems to be getting control. Uh, cut to Jesse relying on the old tried and true Nightmare on Elm Street remedy of caffeine pills. So these ones are called Stay Up, S-T-A apostrophe U-O or U-P, uh, and Coca-Cola. So, you know, he's got the the old mix of Coke and caffeine pills. No joke, Cola? I know, right? It's always Coke, though. Don't knock that Stay Up. <laughs> I would rather take that than do what... Uh, Oh, God, I'm, I'm forgetting her name, but uh, the girl in part three does where she takes the spoonful of Folgers instant coffee <laughs> and downs it with Coke. I'm like, ah, gross. <laughs> I did it on a dare once. It, it was not fun. Oh, <laughs> See, so the problem is, did you look at the, the small print? Stay up? No. Uh, it doesn't keep you awake. It keeps you up. Oh. It's it's, it's special pills. <laughs> Subtext. It's, 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 it's Viagra before Viagra was around. It's 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 the dollar store brand Viagra. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but oh my god! So the next day at school, uh, on the way to school, Lisa tries to talk to Jesse about his bad dreams, but he's not giving her much information. He tells her that his his dad thinks he's on drugs, his mom thinks he's crazy, and at this point he's starting to think she's right. So we cut to school. Uh, we cut to uh, cut to lunch at school. I fucking love this scene. See, he's not crazy. That's true. He's not. But because when you know you're, you're crazy, you're not crazy. <laughs> not crazy. <laughs> well, he did say he I think thinks. He's, crazy. <laughs> he, he's not sure. So you know, <laughs> there might be a little bit of the cray cray creeping in. Um, but I, I love this scene because Grady is talking to Jesse asking if he wants to get a pizza or see a movie after school something to take his mind off of things but he's saying it through a mouthful of food he's got three open cartons of milk in front of him <laughs> and just like piles of food he's like hey you want to get pizza <laughs> he's just like shoveling the food and I love it <laughs> so, as as we discussed on Raised by Rentals Josh he sounds like Stallone in Cobra <laughs> yeah he mouthful linguine <laughs> but so Jesse doesn't answer Grady and he just continues shoveling food in his mouth. Carrie and Lisa sit down next to them and Carrie asks Grady if he's going to Lisa's party and he goes, can't grounded. She goes, why? I threw my grandmother down a flight of stairs. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> if he's grounded, how is he going out for a pizza or a movie after school? Exactly. I'm like, okay. I love how he just says it so nonchalant through my grandmother down a flight of stairs. Yeah, so I, I, I don't. I I just think he doesn't want to go to the party. Yeah, yeah, I, I got that too. Yeah, I mean, he might be actually grounded, but yeah, he's he's clearly joking, right? He's goofing around, but yeah, he either doesn't want to go to the party for some reason, or maybe he's grounded, but like the party's on the weekend, so he's just grounded for like you know the weekend or some mm. some. Why are we talking so much about this dumb little scene? You know, know. <laughs> it's like it's not that important. We're like, you see, the reason he has three cartons of milk and not four. It's a very special reason. Like, <laughs> well, this all implies that it's actually a dream because there's the three levels. No, I'm just, <laughs> so, 
this is a clue that like Grady was not gay because he really likes milk, right? So it's like <laughs> we're just trying to give you some hints here, but we can't just come out and say it because because it's, it, it's subtext. Because it's subtext. Jesse's barking up the wrong tree with Grady because you know he loves that milk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not man milk, damn it, cow milk. There's a difference. <laughs> Oh, my God. So Lisa tries to talk to Jesse, and he refuses. Grady tells her, I don't know why you're wasting your time on this guy. He's a basket case. And JC, uh, JC? Yeah, Jesse flips out and tells him to shut up. And he goes, fine, I'll shut up. See you around, pal. <laughs> like, he's still got food in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. But again, this is so good. Like, this is such a good realistic portrayal of, like, what their friendship would be like. And, you know, it's almost as if Grady is trying to be his friend, but, like, he won't apologize, you know, for his pranks or, you know, he's, you know, too embarrassed or too proud or whatever. But he's just just like, you know, he just wants to, like, you know, live and let live and just be friends. And every time Jesse gets mad, he's like, well, fuck you then. You know, I'm just trying to be a a cool guy, you know, trying to be your bro. Exactly. And again, that's why I like Grady so much. He's, He's a very realistic character and he's just fun. But we smash cut to Lisa's party where her dad is grilling burgers and dogs and playing some Benny Goodman <laughs> and chastising all the kids for splashing in the pool. Lisa's mom comes I'm, and gets. Okay. I was going to say, I'm sorry. I'm ashamed to say, like, this has become me at like family. <laughs> <laughs> Don't splash me, you damn kids. <laughs> Slow down. Don't go in the pool. <laughs> what are you doing? Don't splash me while I'm playing with my wiener. Oh, no. Well, I'm grilling wieners. But Lisa's mom gets dad to go inside with her, and they tell Lisa 1230 and no later. Lisa watches Jesse go into a little cabana near the pool and follows him. He's changing to go home and tells her that he can't be there right now. She begs him to let her help him, and, and and he tells her that she can't, saying that he's afraid to be awake or asleep. He doesn't know what he's going to do. Lisa tells him that she'll stay up all night with him if she has to, that she won't let anything happen to him. One thing leads to another, and they begin to make out. Okay, so this is the scene that I thought of when you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you were like, the gender roles are like flipped, right? Or the sex mm-hmm. roles are flipped because, you know, the the female characters are like ogling the dudes and making jokes about getting laid. I immediately thought of the scene. I was like, so just picture, you know, gender swap the characters. Yep. And now you have, you know, if it was the female final girl main character who goes into like the little, you know, uh, bathhouse or shower or whatever to get changed. And then the pervy dude who's trying to like Mac on her follows her in there. Probably mm-hmm. trying to catch her with her shirt off. And then he's just like, I'll stay up all night. Whatever you need, baby. <laughs> it's, it's fucking 16 candles. Yeah. It's like, it's the whole, it's the dude trying to convince the girl, like, you know, everything's all right. Just stay with me, you know? And it's like that again. Yeah. It's, it's totally it. The gender roles are swapped and I love it for it. I yep, think it's yep. so cool. And because, like, you know, the, the the traditionally female character is in, like, a vulnerable position, feeling mm-hmm. kind of, like, weak and, like, wanting to have this, like, protector character around, you know, gives in to, you know, their, you know, their lusts or whatever. But, of course, we see here that Jesse's like, wait, hang on a second. Subtext. Like, I can't make out with a girl. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like, I love this, though. Back inside, we see Lisa's parents in the bedroom sharing a drink. And the dad's like, Maybe I should go out there. And she's like, oh, leave him alone. (laughs) They turn off the lights and the kids go nuts. They turn on some generic new wave and crank it up. People immediately start jumping in the pool. Tops uh, tops start coming off. 
human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Uh, sorry, that's the wrong movie. Just the part <laughs> up to the clothes coming off. Fear comes out in the wagon. Exactly. Busting makes me feel good. <laughs> well, that's uh, what uh, Lisa had in mind. Um, <laughs> but inside, Dad gets all annoyed at the, the kids having fun and comments. They should get some rest. Now, this is a running theme in every Nightmare on Elm Street movie. The parents of Springwood tried to protect their kids from Freddy Krueger by killing him. But then they all tell their kids to get some rest, which is actually killing them. I just find that interesting because that pops up in every one of these fucking movies. Mm-hmm. So it's like they, they tried so desperately to protect their kids, but then they're sending them off like lambs to the slaughter. Um, so we cut to Lisa and Jesse making out in the cabana. Jesse undoes Lisa's shirt and begins licking her chest when suddenly a giant Freddy tongue pops out of his mouth and begins licking her all puppety. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's like. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> this, this is the worst effect in the movie, though. This, this is worse than the bird on a string. Oh, it's so <laughs> bad. Like, because Jesse goes to clap his hand over his mouth and the tongue just like zips back in like whoop. <laughs> with, with, a, with a tongue like that, who needs a penis? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's fucking Gene Simmons. But uh, so Lisa looks at Jesse confused as to what just happened. She asks him what's wrong, but he says nothing and gets dressed, leaving Lisa blue balled. So she's like, damn it. <laughs> Smash cut to Jesse jumping on a sleeping Grady in his bed, scaring the fuck out of him. <laughs> that's who we really wanted to be with. Oh, oh yeah. We're going to we're going to get some really interesting dialogue here in a minute because uh, Grady wants to know what the fuck he's doing in his room, and Jesse explains that he's in trouble. He tries to tell Grady that he killed Schneider, only it wasn't him. It was something else. And the next, uh, and then the next night, it made him go to his sister's room, and again tonight, it went in the cabana with Lisa, it happened again. So he's trying to tell him there's something that's making me do things that I don't want to do. Grady, of course, thinks his friend is completely losing it, and we get this very ridiculous back and forth. Where Jesse says, I'm scared, Grady. Something is trying to get inside my body. And Grady goes, yeah, and she's female and waiting in the cabana for you. And you want to sleep with me. (laughs) Subtext. (laughs) There's so much to unpack. (laughs) (laughs) Jesse begs Grady to stay up or to help him and stay up. He's like, just watch me sleep. If it seems like I'm in trouble, you know, wake me up. He then ominously tells Grady, don't fall asleep. Cut to the party. Lisa is talking to Carrie and tells her that she wants to go to Jesse and help him, but she can't leave her own party. And Carrie's like, fuck the party. Go to Jesse. Lisa smiles and takes off. Back in Grady's room, we see Grady flicking through the channels on the TV while Jesse sleeps in the corner. Eventually, Grady gets annoyed, says sweet dreams, pal, and gets ready for bed himself. As soon as he shuts the lights off, Jesse wakes up and tells Grady it's happening again and doubles over in pain. Now, this this whole sequence is fucking rad, but Grady turns on the lights and watches in horror as Jesse begins to transform. And it's very much like an American werewolf in London. Yeah, like it's it's a totally it. a werewolf transformation. Um, like I love like the, you see the blades push up through Jesse's fingertips. Mm-hmm. His arm skin splits open, revealing the red and green sweater underneath. You know, Grady yeah. desperately pounds on the door, being like, Dad, open the door. 
<laughs> yeah, I love this sequence. I love this scene so much. And it's like I was saying before, like with this being my first nightmare movie and then like the pool scene proper that comes after this, like this was so creepy, you know, not knowing what Freddy was and just knowing he's some kind of like a demon or a ghost or something possessing Jesse. And then to realize, oh, he was being literal when he meant like, I'm the brains, you're the body. Like he's mm-hmm. really wants to take his body and he's going to fucking own that shit and rip it up. And I'm like, God damn, like this is a creepy ass movie. Oh, it's it, this scene is, is fucking terrifying. And again, while the effects budget was very slight for this film, they pull it off really well. Like this sequence, there's only one moment where it's like, OK, that looks cheap. But it's so briefly on screen that it's forgivable. It's it's the animatronic Jesse head when Freddy's actually ripping out of him. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah, OK, that's fake. But it's it's well it's well done. Don't get me wrong. But like you can definitely tell that it's fake, but it's so brief that you you mm-hmm. just kind of forgive it. But, you know, so Grady's pounding on the door, yelling for his dad. Jesse continues to transform. I love it. He screams and we see an eye inside of his mouth looking back and forth. So now, awesome. that that eyeball actually belongs to the girlfriend of Kevin Yeager, the effects artist, because oh. she was she was the only one with a head small enough to fit into the fake head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man, you're layering that subtext on pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you yeah, know, I love this sequence. Yeah, that, that's a creepy scene for sure. Oh, Pro- probably, so may- maybe, is that the, this is the most memorable sequence from the movie? At least I think it is. Like, when I think of the special effects in this movie, I think of that eyeball. Yeah, I think I think this scene, like, well, this and the scene that's that's right right after it where we see Freddy's face stretch out of Jesse's belly. And like then Jesse like reaches down with the clawed fingertips and slices the belly open and Freddie just kind of pops out like that always as a kid. I was like, ah, like what the fuck? Stop it. <laughs> but yeah, so he just rips right out of Jesse's body as Grady continues to scream for help. We see his parents run on the other side of the door. They're probably like Grady or Ron, open the door, you know, and then Freddie grabs Grady and guts him with his claws. Blades popping clean through him and out the door on the other side, freaking the parents out. So bye bye, Grady. Man, this this is one of the few murders in the entire franchise. I was like legitimately bummed. Like, come yeah. on. Like, man, what the fuck? I liked I liked Ron. Yeah, no, he was he was a good guy. And like it's also I think it's because it's not over the top. Like the transformation is over the top, but the death is literally he just gets grabbed by the throat and gutted. It's so believable that there's there's like a level of like sadness to it. It's yeah. it's it isn't that fun roller coaster ride we get in most slasher movies. It's like, oh, he got he got stabbed to death. I don't like that, you know. But uh, yeah, so Grady slumps over dead and we pan over to the mirror where we see Freddie laughing and waving pan out. We see Jesse covered in blood wearing the glove. He cries upon seeing his dead friend, realizing that Freddie made him kill again. The cops show up and Jesse flees out the window. This is where act two ends. What do you guys think? Well, I'm still loving it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. yeah. We're like, who's going to go first? I went first last time. You go first, Maurice. We'll make Mike the, cut this part the, out. Movies. The guest goes first. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm in, but I'm, I'm digging it. Is there any particular scenes that you guys, uh, obviously outside of the transformation <laughs> sequence, but any any particular scenes in Act Two that you guys really liked? No, uh, I think I mentioned mine already. Like, I, you know, I like the visit. And now, now I'm getting the timeline messed up. But you know, I like the little background story, the little visit to like the power plant area, and mm-hmm. and I like I like this pool scene. Like I know it hasn't like ended yet, but even like the setup for it, like 
it's like a rich girl's house, but at the same time, like it's a believable like high school party. I think it's even more believable than a lot of like dumb high school parties because usually in a movie, a high school party turns into some somehow they ha- they found five hundred teenagers who somehow managed to lay their hands on like eight or nine full ass kegs, you know, right? Like shitloads of like you know chips, and then there's like decorations and streamers and strobe lights and a DJ, and it's like where did all this come from? You know, whereas this is a very believable teenage, you know, high school party. Like the dad, like made them some wieners and then they blasted up the boombox and like dived in the pool. Like that was it. Like that's the whole thing. And yep. Yeah. I think it's, I, I like this movie because out of everything in the franchise, this one is the most realistic despite all the silly supernatural stuff. But like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you sent Nancy in the first one who was some kind of fucking MacGyver making like traps, (laughs) you know, and then starting with dream warriors, it's like they become like superheroes. Like, and that's, you know, three, four, five, you know, into, into part six. It's, and then Freddie becomes more and more like silly. You know, he becomes like a, a goofy character who's like playing a video game. But this movie I think is the most realistic. It's the most, grounded out of all of them which is again part of the reason why i find it so creepy so even though like not a whole lot really happens in this act but Mm -hmm. the the deaths are cool i was super bummed when ron got killed and just the fact that i give a shit to me make you know makes this a great movie totally agree i i i definitely like this for all those same reasons and and yeah like every other nightmare on elm street movie your your hero characters definitely have some kind of power uh, that you know can go up against Freddy. Like they're they're whether they're like really smart like Nancy or every you know every movie after this like we discussed they do play with the dream power idea, um, and just like being a little too smart for teenagers. Like they, I don't know they're just they they never strike me as like actual teens. Just like in Friday the Thirteenth, those aren't real teens. Those are like thirty something year olds playing teens. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but like. I don't know that this one definitely does feel very grounded. Like these, these characters do feel high school age. Um, one thing I do want to comment on that I haven't mentioned that I absolutely adore about this. And I'm kind of bummed that we never went back to this is the look for Freddie with the finger knives, like where it's not yeah. actually a glove. They're like coming right out of his fingertips. Like that's so yeah. creepy to me. For sure. Yeah. I love that. Again, another reason to this movie, it stands out from the franchise. It's creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. But so act three kicks up. We get uh, back at Lisa's house. Uh, she's about to leave and go look for Jesse when suddenly he shows up covered in blood and confesses to her that he killed Grady and Schneider. Uh, he's completely freaking out and tells her that Fred Krueger is making him do it. He's inside of him and he wants to make him kill again. Now, at this point, I'm pretty sure I'd be fucking done. I'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> but... But not Lisa. She's she tells Jesse <laughs> that it's all a misunderstanding. That Jesse is getting confused by all the crazy things that happened lately. <laughs> Jesse's like, for reals, I got blood on my hands, bitch. Like, <laughs> stop thinking with your whisker biscuit and pay attention, damn it. <laughs> no, she's like, oh shush, shush, honey, it's fine. Here, let's get you out of those dirty clothes. <laughs> exactly. Again, gender roles reversed. But back outside at the pool party, we see the pool mysteriously begin to heat up. The hot dog sitting on the cutting board suddenly burst into flames and all the beer cans begin to explode. Inside the house, Lisa tries to read something from Nancy's diary to Jesse. Uh, She says he is evil itself. 
I know now that I brought him into my world. We all did. Gave him all the energy he needed. Our screams were all he needed. So she's basically explaining to him what Nancy discovered about Freddy. That, you know, he, he's, he's empowered by their fear. While Lisa is talking to Jesse, we see the lock on the gate outside latch shut. The door to Lisa's parents' bedroom locks shut and several windows start to lock. Lisa tell, uh, tries to tell Jesse that Nancy wasn't crazy and that he can fight back against Kruger. Just then, Jesse begins to freak out, telling her Freddy's coming back. And this is where all hell breaks loose. Uh, we get the fucking TV explodes. The fish tank boils and bursts outside. The lights begin to explode over the pool. The pool begins to boil and people are jumping out like, oh, fuck, what's going on? Like freaking out. Jesse falls to the floor behind a desk as Lisa yells for him to fight. But when he stands up, it's no longer Jesse. And now Freddie is in his place. So Freddie chases Lisa around the room as she tries to escape the locked house, but can't. He eventually tackles her to the ground and bites her leg, which is fucking gnarly. Like he just digs in. I was like, Ugh. and then he, she fucking boots him in the jaw and runs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like he, he's not as powerful in the real world, like I said. Like in, in the first movie, too, like Nancy just kind of like kicks him in the face at one point. Mm-hmm. Like uh, he's he, he he is very, very not powerless, but I think physically he's closer to like a regular dude in the real world. Yeah, exactly. But Lisa grabs a knife and tries to protect herself, yelling for Jesse to help her. Freddie tells her there is no Jesse, only Zool. Sorry, wrong movie again. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he tells her that he's Jesse now. Suddenly, Freddy speaks in Jesse's voice, begging her to kill him. Freddy mocks her, and she tries to stab him, but it has no effect. Lisa tells Jesse that she loves him, uh, and then Freddy, Freddy Jesse says that he loves her too, and Freddy lets go of her and runs off and jumps out the door. So basically, like, Jesse takes over for a brief moment. He's like, I love you, Lisa, and then he's like, oh, shit, I'm out, and he runs off. So he jumps out the door and disappears. Suddenly, everything stops, making it look like everything is safe once again. The doors unlock and everything is quiet. As everyone wonders what the hell just happened, Freddy busts up out of the ground for reasons. Like, why did he? Why was he underground? Like, what? Shh, <laughs> don't just, ask questions. Right? <laughs> and then just starts attacking the kids at the party as they run around like frightened cattle. Now, this sequence is fucking gnarly. Because. The gate turns red hot, like people try to run out the gate, but they get burned. You know, the pool and bushes catch fire. Freddy guts a few kids. People are getting trampled as others are getting burned alive until one kid tries to stop all the madness. I fucking love this. He goes, hey, just calm down. All right. Relax. Yeah, it's going to be all right. Nobody's going to hurt you. Just tell us what you want. All right. I'm here for you. And Freddy responds with, help yourself, fucker, and slashes him in the gut and tosses him into the fire. Was, I gotta ask, was uh, that Morty? Was that Morty? Yeah, exactly. I was doing the Morty voice. Yeah. <laughs> My exactly. favorite part of the scene is when they're all, like, running, and then there's a bunch of kids who are, like, literally stepping on the dead body of one of the dead kids, trying to, like, use it as, like, a, like a stool, like a boost to get over the wall that they're trying to climb. And then it cuts back it. to Freddy. He's just walking, and some dude in, like, a blue polo is just trying to run away, and Freddy just, like, stabs him in the gut and keeps walking. And then you get this, like, second where the camera pauses on the kid while he's just, like, his blood is gushing out of his belly, and he's just looking 
looking at it like, oh my god! You know? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to hold his guts in. Like, exactly. what the fuck? I, I love how he's just so nonchalant. Freddie's just like, stabity, and just keeps on walking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, but now we get the iconic scene that uh, of Freddie standing in front of the fire where he, out, he stretches his arms out and says, you are all my children. Now, that was the Robert Englund uh, improv moment. So, and it. this leads into how he is in part three. And I feel like that line really solidified some of the stuff that they did with part three, like how he feeds on the souls of the children. And it's like, oh, okay, all right, I, I, I see what you were laying down there, Robert. Exactly. And I, and I never understood as a kid, like, why he just stops the massacre and, like, walks away. Like, he just leaves, you right. know? And, of course, now, with retrospect... It's like he wasn't he wasn't going to like eat all the whole box of chocolates on the first night. You know what I mean? Like he was exactly. saving some treats, you know, because like I said, he's like, you were all my children. He was like he was he was calling dibs on all the kids of Springfield and <laughs> yep. and then or Springwood. And now he's going to be like, OK, I got a couple of you. And you're all scared now and I'm out and I'm coming for you later. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. But dad comes running out with a shotgun and takes a shot at Freddie, but misses. Freddie stares him down with, and we get like a hint of Jesse on his face. Dad reloads and goes to shoot again, but Lisa stops him. Freddie walks past the kids and right through the garden wall, disappearing into flames. <laughs> I love Dad's face because he goes, "Where to go?" <laughs> He's just like so dumbfounded. <laughs> and so Lisa takes off and heads to the old abandoned power plant. She goes inside and encounters two human-faced dogs that just growl at her for a bit for reasons. Like, which, by the way, watching this movie on double speed today for a quick review, that growl sounds exactly like uh, like they took a tiger's growl out of like, you know, the uh, out of like the library of like stock sound effects. It sounds exact, <laughs> exactly like the big cat growl from like every like old, bad, like black and white, like jungle adventure movie. Nice. I do have to say, like, as cheesy as the effect was of the two Rottweilers wearing the human face masks, as cheesy as that was, it unsettled the fuck out of me as a kid. Like, I don't know if it's because they kind of had almost like that garbage pal kid face where it was like the big cheeks and like the boils and shit on them with like the dead eyes. It scared the hell out of me, though. And like to this day, when I see that sequence, I still kind of like, like, it just it, it creeps me out. Yeah, um, all these weird little mutant creatures are fucking weird. It's I, and there's probably something to be said for like, oh, it shows that like, you know, Freddy's powers bleeding over into the real world, and all the local like stray cats and rats are being mutated or whatever. But sure, fine. But it's just it's fucking creepy as hell, and that's why yeah. it's in the movie. It's good. We need it's some creepy just, stuff. It's good creep out. And uh, you know, a little little uh, fun fact: lighting that factory was a fucking nightmare for the crew. Oh, I'm sure. Because, like, I remember, I think it was, it might have even been on the commentary track where they talk about that, about how just insane it was for them to try to light that factory, um, just because of how big it was and how they needed a lot of, like, a lot of the shots they got of Lisa walking across, like, the catwalks and stuff. They're, like, trying to light it properly so we could see what the hell was going on, you know, and still get the shot. It was just nightmarish. But, uh, so Lisa makes her way through the power plant getting little jump scares along the way, like from Freddy's claws screeching on pipes to a vision of bugs in her bite wound to hissing pipes and a mutant rat and cat that just growls at her. <laughs> that Those things were so Muppety. I loved it. But 
Eventually, she finds Freddy and corn and he corners her, forcing her to face him. She begs Jesse to come back to her. Freddy tells her that Jesse is dead and tries to stab her. But Jesse calls out to her and begins fighting back against Freddy. Lisa tells Freddy that she's no longer afraid of him, that he can't keep Jesse, that she's going to take him back and send him straight to hell. And the whole time he's like, no, no, he's mine. You can't have him. <laughs> it's but, my toy. Give just, it back. <laughs> just like the Care Bears, Lisa uses the power of love to defeat Freddy. <laughs> Huey Lewis and the News. Exactly. It's the power of love. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I have that in here because she kisses him. The, the pipes surrounding them light on fire. Freddy starts to burn. We get this amazing puppet melt sequence. I love that sequence where it's like we get the the uh, animatronic head of Freddy like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's all melting. Looks so good. And then we get an ash and grime covered Jesse emerging from the charred remains of Freddy. And that's this is where I wrote. And that's the power of love. Cue guitar riff. Wow. <laughs> 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 So the next day we see Jesse get on the school bus and sit with Lisa and Carrie. He comments that he can't believe it's all over. And Lisa tells him that they shouldn't talk about it. And he agrees. Jesse comments that he feels like the bus is going a little too fast. Lisa's like, no, it's fine. And he's like, no, it's going too fast. So she tries to calm him down and he keeps insisting. No, no, I can't. This is way too fast. And he stands up going, driver, stop the bus. Then The bus comes to a stop and picks up another kid and everyone's looking at him. (laughs) And he's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I love that because it's like, it makes you think something's wrong. And then it's like, womp, womp, only to fuck with you again in a second. So Carrie leans in and tells him, everything is fine. It's all over. And suddenly a hand pops out of her chest, or a Freddy hand pops out of her chest. Everyone screams. The bus speeds off into the desert as Freddy cackles, giving us the famous Bob Shea coda to let us know there will be a sequel. Credits the end. <laughs> yeah, I love that the that it ends with both a laugh and like a jump scare. You know, like mm-hmm. that's a per- perfect way to cap the movie. And it and it ends the way it began with the bus going mm-hmm. off in the desert. So, yep. and it's funny because as a kid I hated that. As an adult I fucking love it. I love the mirror effect. But there is an a metric ton of trivia about this movie, so I'm not going to go into all of it. Um, but before we get to that. Final thoughts on the movie. Anyone have any uh, any last minute thoughts they want to talk about with the, the film? I only have one, and I'll try to keep it short. Um, I think I've already said kind of my piece about how I feel about this movie. I think it's awesome. One thing that we didn't really talk about uh, is the theme that uh, just general heat and fire play throughout the whole movie. Like you mentioned before how it's really hot in their house. Mm-hmm. At one point, Jesse wakes up. And maybe he's dreaming, maybe he's sleepwalking, whatever. But, like, there's, like, stuff in his bedroom that's melted. You know, obviously, like, the bird explodes, you know. And <laughs> and then later on in the pool scene, like, it's like the, everything getting really hot is the sign that Freddy's there. Like, the water's boiling and the hot dogs explode. And I just thought that that was really interesting because there's no, like, music cue for, ooh, Freddy's here. The way that you had, like, the kiki-ki mama, you know, kiki-mama mm-hmm. I can't, I can't believe I fucked that up, right? You know, <laughs> you have the, you know, you have the music cue for Jason, you have the music cue for Jaws, like you don't have a music cue for Freddy really in this movie at least. So I think it's interesting that it's like, oh shit, everything's getting really hot, like Freddy's around, and I thought that was interesting. And they never really keep doing that uh, in the in the sequels, um, but I only mentioned it mainly because 
it was like a nice storytelling tool, but really because in fucking Freddy versus Jason, we always pick on the fact <laughs> that Jason should not be afraid of water because he fucking like lives at a lake and he's always in the water all the time. We see him in the water constantly. He loves to go up underneath inflatable rafts and stab topless bitches from the bottom. Like he likes, <laughs> you know, he loves water, and yet for some reason he was afraid of it. But then also they had that that. Freddy was afraid of fire, and I'm like, no, he's not. Like, have you seen any of the other movies? Like, <laughs> like he, he lives in fire. Exactly. Like, fire is like his silver surfer. It's the harbinger that he's coming for you. You know, like, <laughs> you know, it's like exactly. Jason died in water, but the water gave him his power, and Freddy died in fire, and the fire gave him his power. So making him afraid of it was just dumb, man. Okay, I've I, said my I, I've said my piece. I still hate that about Freddy versus Jason, and when, and when we do eventually cover that, I'm sure. We, we will all rant about that because, my God, it is so fucking annoying. But, yeah. No, I agree. I, Freddy is – he is fire. He, he's Again, he's like an elemental. He is, he is the fucking fire elemental. Jason is a water mm-hmm. elemental. That's just – that's what their, their, their personas are. Yeah. Which begs the question, like, who are the air and earth elementals in the horror canon? Ah, Okay. Who who are the other members of the Captain Planet crew? Who is the heart? <laughs> who is the heart of this group? <laughs> I, I feel like Leatherface would be Earth because he's you know, he's like, you know, salt of the earth kinda kind of people like living yeah. down and dirty in the outskirts of Texas. The farmers. <laughs> yep. You know? It's so, like yeah, I feel like he would be Earth. I don't know who the hell would be air though. Michael Wonder Gold. Maybe I, mean, I, I was thinking Michael Myers would be hard because you know he really has a hard on for his family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, now, now, uh, now, if you watch uh, the last three movies, oh, uh, well, I, I didn't, do that. I didn't do that on purpose. It was strategic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, fuck, anyway. fuck, fuck that. Um, but no, I, I definitely, I, like I said, I love this movie. I think that it's well worth rewatching if you haven't seen it in a long time um, or if you've never seen it, fucking watch it. Like it's, it's a great film, uh, but it doesn't get the, the love it deserves. But as, as far as the trivia goes, uh, you had mentioned the music, the, the musical cue. And I found it funny that you mentioned that because one of the things that this film is known for is it's the only film in the series, not to use Charles Bernstein's original theme or a variation of it. So the rest of the franchise all uses that that Freddy theme, and this is the only one that doesn't. So I was like, "That's that's interesting." Yes, yeah, um, and, and its absence was noticed. You know, it's interesting. Yep. Yeah. And this is also the first of of the films uh, where we introduce the green stripes on the sleeves of the sweater. Uh, in the first one, it's red and green stripes on the chest with red uh, red sleeves. From this point on, it's the full thing is red and green stri- stripes. Um, yeah. The school in the film is the same school used in the Karate Kid. So they f- <laughs> that's where Daniel LaRusso went to school. <laughs> I knew I knew I heard some banana rama playing in the background. I can I can feel it. <laughs> oh man. Um, then we have uh, this one, and, and I thought I thought maybe this is IMDb bullshit, but I confirmed it. I rewatched Never Sleep Again. And it confirms it that both Brad Pitt, John Stamos, and Christian Slater all auditioned for the role of Jesse, uh, but uh, they ended up picking Mark Patton over him. 
So, but all of them were relatively unknown at the time. Keep in mind, around the same time, Stamos was doing, uh, was it Never Too Young to Die? So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, you know, none, none of them were gay, so the, the subtext wouldn't have worked. So. <laughs> right, subtext. <laughs> Jazz hands. Um, this, this I always find interesting, that had this movie not succeeded, we, like, New Line would have been done. Like, we, we would not have gotten the Lord of the Rings films that we got. Uh, so many great New Line cinema. Like, we wouldn't have gotten Ninja Turtles. We wouldn't have gotten, obviously, all of the other Freddy movies. But, like, this, this movie was the linchpin for New Line's survival. Because after the first film, basically, Bob Shea levered, leveraged his ass off to get the first film made. Because no one in Hollywood wanted to make Nightmare on Elm Street. So, you know, when Wes Craven took it to New Line, who was this tiny little nobody company at the time, uh, he had to basically he sold the rights left, right and center to just to get the movie or get the money for the movie to make it. So when the movie was said all said and done and everyone was paid, New Line didn't make a dime of the profits. All they had was they walked away with a very lucrative title. So they owned the rights Mm -hmm. to Nightmare on Elm Street. But they had to still raise money to do anything with it, which is why they started so cheap with part two, because they're like, we don't have money for this. Mm-hmm. So and and if this fails, we're fucked. But it it, you know, basically it blew up at the box office like everybody went to go see it did 150 percent more than the original movie. So, you know, granted, it ended up getting shit reviews from fans pretty quickly, but everybody went to go see it. So New Line made all their money back and then some, which allowed them to now invest in future properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, this is the reason why New Line is known as the house that Freddie built, because if this movie yeah. didn't exist, then they would have or if this movie failed, they would have been fucked. Um, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, back then it was like all, all you needed to do is get people to buy that ticket. They're going to buy the ticket based on like the cult fame of that first movie. And it didn't matter if the movie was good or not. So, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, you get a couple of old, like, Hollywood standbys. You get, you know, some new fresh face. You throw some money at the special effects and film in the same three buildings from different angles. And you're good to go. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, I always find that so fascinating, like, that that we can do, like, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon with, with uh, Freddy Krueger and, like, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's, just, it's so cool. Yeah, that's pretty but, awesome. While while it wasn't well received over here, it was extremely well received over in Europe. Uh, apparently, the sexual overtones were <laughs> very picked up on over there, <laughs> and they loved it. Like they they said, like in fact, this is one of the highest rated Nightmare on Elm Street films in most European countries. So I think that's kind of funny that like over here, a lot of people dog on it, and over there, it was like, oh, that was the best one. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> I they like, were right. It is exactly. The best. <laughs> it's really cool. Um. A few other quick little things is uh, when Kevin Yeager took over uh, for David Miller as the effects artist, he had no idea like how to make sense of Freddie's makeup. He's like, what the fuck is this? And which is funny because David Miller based the original look on pepperoni pizza. Like he didn't actually go on <laughs> yeah. burn victims. He was playing with a pepperoni pizza. So with this one, he, uh, you know, David, Ye- or I'm sorry, Kevin Yeager actually looked at burn victims and he played with bone structure. So this is why why Freddie has like the high cheekbones and like he's got almost like the pointed chin. Um, he played around with a lot of the bone structure. And it's also the first film that gives Freddie the amber colored eyes, because originally it was just Robert England's green eyes. 
but you know he put he decided to be, make him more demonic looking by adding those amber eyes and as the film pro- films progress those eyes get more and more demonic leading up to mm-hmm. freddy jason where we get the full demon look so i always thought that was interesting that this is the film that kind of capitalized on the look we all know and love for freddy but yeah, that uh, makes sense so a, a couple uh, quick quick little things is one thing I didn't mention in the actual uh, recording of this is in Jesse's closet, there is a hat and a green sweater um, that is it's green with red stripes in his closet. So it's kind of like showing that Freddie is always there. I was like, that's cool. Nice. Yeah. And um, the originally the original pitch for this movie was Nightmare on Elm Street Two, Freddie's baby. And uh wow. It was eventually, obviously, we all know, was used for the Dream Child in Part 5. But the original pitch uh, was Leslie Boehm, I think her name is. Um, She wrote a pitch kind of based on a Rosemary's Baby idea of, like, somebody, like, who's pregnant and Freddie possesses the child. So it's that whole thing of, like, you're going to be giving birth to evil. Um, And, uh, you know, they do play with it in Part 5, but. You know, it's yeah, done, done differently. It, even in this one, I mean, honestly, it's a pretty similar concept. It's just like uh, it's a little bit easier to do it with just like a regular like adult man rather than trying to like make a baby. You know, right. like, especially the special effects alone would have been tough. And then you'd have to have a character like carrying a baby around the whole time. Like just yep. just make it an adult and like they basically what they did. Exactly. Um, one thing I'm sure you guys both noticed, but uh, the weird sound effects around Freddy every time we saw him were whale sounds that they added to the film to make it more dreamlike. (laughs) And last but not least, this was voted the number one gayest horror movie of all time by Cracked Magazine. Something that everyone in the crew and, and, uh, and, you know, actors, they all wear like a badge of honor as well. They should, because that's pretty fucking awesome. (laughs) It is the correct choice. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But But we, oh God. I was say I also love the fact that like while this is a very gay movie, the subtext was not very sub, really. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, it was very dumb. Hey-o. Exactly. Oh, hey-o. Yeah. Um, but I love the fact that like it's not also disrespectful. I don't think it's you know you know prejudiced in any way. You don't watch oh, no. this as like a gay person, and it, it doesn't. I don't think it would feel awkward. You know, I'm 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 not a gay person, but I don't feel like I would feel offended, or like it wasn't like like a lot of '80s movies when they make a lot of like you know you know dumb you know gay jokes. You know, it, it's not once bitten. We'll say that, right? Right. <laughs> Where there's that one scene oh, that really shower. just kind of, yeah, it kind of drags the whole movie down because it's like yeah, like that that does not you know, age well, and it just makes the whole movie very awkward. But yeah, this one, I think it works. You know, even with like the weird S&M stuff, you might say like, well, that's a bad stereotype, but it's really just that one character. And it wasn't really like that much in your face. Right. And no, and that, and that's the thing. Like, actually, if you uh, check out Scream Queen, if you or Scream Queen, if you get a chance, um, because they do, they do have interviews with a lot of uh, gay men who talk about this movie being very important to them when they were younger because it was one of the first times that they actually kind of saw themselves in a role. Cause like the one guy uh, that they interviewed was saying like when he would watch these horror movies, he would always identify with the final girl. And he was like, you know, they, they never have like a final boy that would represent me. And he, like with Mark Patton's character and like, they, they felt like that kinship with him. Uh, it was very representative of, you know, uh, the final boy. So it's, it's kind of cool to see like a lot of, a lot of young gay men were very 
like they, they they found comfort in this movie as well as it being terrifying. But it's like, so yeah, I think it does walk that line of being, you know, it's yeah, it's obviously gay, even though it's subtext. Um, you know, it's it's very obviously gay, but I think that's to its credit, you know, yeah. and and it it did it did do a lot of good for horror fans out there. Um, even if there are a, a ton of spoofs on the Jesse dance, <laughs> you know, it's still it's still well, as a lot well of they stuff. should. <laughs> right. Take a fucking joke. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, highly recommend this movie. So if you guys haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Um, we definitely went a little a little long today, but I, I kind of think we're going to do that all this month, to be honest with you. It's Freddy. It's going to be hard not to talk about it for a while. Um, so yeah, let, let's hop into our social media here. Uh, if you're not following us, check us out on uh, Facebook and Instagram at The Boogeyman's Closet. Maurice handles our Twitter, which is? At Boogeyman's Closet. Thank you very much, good sir. Uh, we also have a Patreon. By the time you hear this, there might be some changes happening with the Patreon. I have to adjust a few things, um, so keep an eye on that. But if you're interested, $3 a month for all of our unedited episodes. Uh, higher tiers, uh, as of right now, we'll get you stuff in the mail and um, you know, like some art in the mail, and we'll get you birthday episodes and stuff. I'm, I'm going to be playing around with those tiers, though. So uh, we are also part of the Rad Pantheon Network. Uh, it's a group of awesome artists and musicians and podcasters just all under one banner doing rad stuff. So check out radpantheon.com and radpantheon on all the socials for more podcasts like this. And just, you know, like I said, cool artists and cool musicians. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to you, Josh, if there's anything you'd like to plug. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if anyone out there is a comic book fan, then come visit me on Instagram at Comics Boost. Just spell that with an X, Comics Boost on Instagram, where I share crowdfunding campaigns for upcoming uh, independent underground comic books uh, that I think are worth your worth your money. Also, uh, we host a podcast called Raised by Rentals, where Mike here and I, uh, we imagine how we might improve our favorite movies, TV, and games of the VHS era uh, by improving off-the-cuff, unplanned, unscripted news story ideas for properties from that era, the 80s and 90s, and that is always a seat-of-the-pants blast, uh, <laughs> at least a rec- recorded it is i hope listening to it is as well so if you like this podcast check out race by rentals as well absolutely and uh once again josh thank you for joining us always a pleasure good sir i uh, love having you on here anyone who wants to watch our next episode like i said it's all nightmare month so episode 178 will be a nightmare on elm street 3 the dream warriors so check that out if you want to watch before you listen yeah, and thanks for having me back on again, guys. It's always a pleasure. It's always a good time. This was definitely one, just like all the way back to Friday the 13th Part 6, I was really waiting on this to like say, me, 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 please. <laughs> so yeah, it finally happened, and now I will never listen to this podcast again. Oh, no. <laughs> but all right, guys, I think with that, we're going to wrap this up. So as always, this is Mike saying goodbye. Subtext. <laughs> See ya. Sweet dreams. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, follow us on Instagram at The Boogeyman's Closet, where you can stay up to date with everything we have planned.
special work.